Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and my co-host Kyle uh, take turns introducing movies to each other. And uh, in this way, we help each other to catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is the month of January in the year of our Lord 2020. And uh, we have a special event here going on at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, you may have heard of it, you may have not, uh, but we here at Catching Up on Cinema have been referring to it as Fucked Up Shit Month. Yes. Uh, um, January is a dreary month, uh, especially in terms of theatrical releases. Um, it's oftentimes like the dumping ground for garbage movies. Uh, and just, you know, if you look outside your window, especially in the <laughs> Pacific Northwest, it's kind of gray. It's kind of miserable. <laughs> Uh, so we, we've been kicking this idea around for a long time. Yes. Uh, so what we're doing is we're kind of like clearing out the basement. Uh, both Kyle and I uh, take note of movies that we, we would like to see, or, or in this case, would like to subject ourselves to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so this month, we're going to be taking a deep dive into some nasty movies. Some all- stuff that not it's not for everyone. In all fairness, I'm the one that subjects myself to these, and I was actually surprised that Trevor had made a list of a few that he wanted to check out. So I actually think this is more your month uh, for for choices. Well, I mean, I'm unfortunately one of those people that I think I spend more time reading about movies than I do actually watching them. Uh, And it just so happens that a lot of the movie news sites that I, I frequent I tend to specialize in some pretty fucked up shit, Uh, a lot of which I never see. Um, But I do read about and I am fascinated by, especially because um, horror movies in particular um, tend to attract young up and coming directors who are willing to take chances. Um, So a lot of times you get to see some amazing innovations and you get to see a a new take on things, a new perspective. Uh, So. A lot, a lot of the movies we're going to be covering here are things that I've been aware of for a very long time, but just things that like I, I caught wind of and just scribbled down in a notebook somewhere saying, huh, maybe someday I should watch this. And well, now that we have a movie podcast, this seems like a good excuse to get into that. Uh, so as, as per the norm, uh, we'll be getting two picks from Kyle this month and two picks from me. Uh, yeah. And maybe one more if January runs long. Uh, I haven't bothered to look at the calendar. <laughs> Uh, so, Kyle, what's the first month of our fucked up shit month? Ooh, we have 2015's Green Room. Uh, this is an A24 uh, distributed film. Uh, if you're not familiar with A24, uh, they're pumping out every fucking good movie right now. Uh, Oftentimes the phrase is restricted, or, yeah, it's reserved for Martin Scorsese, but they make the best films. They make the best films. Uh, Moonlight. <laughs> they just do. <laughs> Moonlight, Hereditary, It Comes at Night, uh, Good Time, which you just recently uh, sat through, The Witch, Under the Skin. Every movie I've seen that has A24 on it, I've loved. Like, every single one. I have not been disappointed by a single one yet. Uh, High Life, also, I believe, is A24. Um, yeah, so if you see the A24 when you're about to watch a movie, it's going to be good. And I think Uncut Gems. I think you uh, just watched Uncut Gems as well. Uh, I'm about to. Oh, about um, to. Later today, in fact. <laughs> about, but yes, that's definitely an A24 production. So yeah, I chose this because I've had this, it's been on Netflix forever, which is usually, for me, like, ah, if the movie's on Netflix, that generally means it's either, like, so good that I've seen it a thousand times, like a Scorsese film, they had Goodfellas and Casino on there for a while, and then you see other movies that you kind of might have heard about, and I'm like, eh, I don't think it's going to be that good, and this was one that I heard was deceiving. Like, it the 
plot didn't sound like it was going to be as good as what it would get you. Um, and I ended up watching it, and I was watching it with headphones in. Did you watch this with headphones in? I did not. Ah. Uh, this uh, is Good this, sound design, though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, the sound design in this is really good. Uh, and I think it makes it way way more tense because i had to i jumped up and i was like fuck shit like it was this is literally why we, we're, we should be calling it fucked up shit because i was literally like whoo i had to take the headphones out pause for a second I'm like god damn i was not ready for that uh all right let's keep moving huh but yeah uh so I'll, i'm just gonna run down the plot real quick uh and then we can kind of go over what you thought of the movie overall but um Again, this is a film analysis, so there's going to be all kinds of spoilers. Uh, we, we walk through the plot pretty much, go through key things, what we liked, what we didn't like. I don't think we're going to be going through what we didn't like in this movie. Uh, but yeah, so there's a punk band. Uh, they're kind of in the middle. This is supposed to be present day. Uh, they have cell phones. There was a flip phone at one point, but it was also a Nazi, a neo-Nazi, so it could have been a burner phone, but... This that is pretty, would be my guess, yeah. This is present day. Um, and this is a punk, an underground punk band traveling out of the van, got no money. They've got like one more show left before they have to hitch it back to D.C. And they're all the way over on the West Coast in Oregon. Uh, they've got one more show lined up. It falls through. They're pretty upset about it. No money. But last minute, they got a show that they can do. Unfortunately, it's for a group of neo-Nazis, which they at punk shows, I guess they've seen a lot of neo-Nazis. They've been, if you remember from Salt Lake City Punk, Neo Nazis are around the punk scene, uh, yeah. so they're not they're not too too concerned about it. But uh, hilarious hijinks ensue, <laughs> and uh, they run in, they run into a little bit of trouble. And uh, yeah, Sir Patrick Stewart shows up. Yeah, Big Captain Picard shows up. To, yeah. you know, sick some dogs on people and wield a gigantic revolver. I should have been I should have been more open to watching it. I think the Patrick Stewart element was like. This could be really good, but this could be bad. And I'm not sure... That was kind of where I was at with it. Because I'm like, Patrick Stewart, I don't know. What, do, what, what would you expect? I don't know. Well, I mean, you could think of this as a spiritual successor to Masterminds. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. young people young people agitate a, an angry old man in the form of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny because I remember the uh, early advertising for the movie. Like the early... Like, when it had a theatrical release, uh, he was front and center on the poster. Um, but these days, uh, you don't see him on a lot of the promotional materials for the movies. Um, and I think that's maybe for the best, because it's actually a, a fun surprise to have him show up and play this kind of role. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, these days, the, the most common poster I see for this movie, it actually reminds me of the Scott Pilgrim poster. Which oh, was yeah. Michael Sarah like dipped over holding an electric guitar. I remember like, that. You know, doing a rock and roll pose, and then the the, the title of the movie's over him. And, uh, instead, it's uh, Anton Yelchin like doing a similar pose, but like throwing a machete down on the floor. <laughs> I think this is also the last movie he did before he passed away. Um, that's actually debatable. Um, there's a movie called Thoroughbreds that came out very recently that yeah, I right. don't know when it was filmed. Um, but it came out very recently, I think, because of uh, complications uh, regarding, like, maybe legality, because he had passed by the time it was ready for release. Um, I don't, I don't know that this was his last movie, but uh, it's definitely a good one. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely a, a big one on his resume. Thoroughbreds was his final film. Yeah, that's what I thought, and I really would like to see that movie. By the way, 
Uh, I saw a trailer for it about a year ago, and I thought, damn, that looks awesome. Uh, I bookmarked it on my uh, my HBO when I had it for like a week, mm. uh, but I didn't get around to it, unfortunately. It has uh, that uh, Anna Taylor-Joy, the gal from the, the Vavitch. <laughs> oh, the Vitch, yeah, the one with the big yeah. eyes. Yeah, dem eyes, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Green Room. Uh, it, it was it was like a bit of a roller coaster. It's very very tense. Yes. Um, in the first half, especially, uh, there's a sense of confusion, um, and the way the uh, the editing cuts back and forth between the two parties is is very well done. Um, I really loved how uh, how both parties have like an internal logic amongst themselves, where the the band, for instance, uh, they have like code phrases that they throw at each other and they have nicknames for each other so it's like they have their own insular logic and then we cut back to patrick stewart and the neo-nazis and they have their own terminology they they have their own logic and everybody the way the dialogue is written it's very naturalistic mm-hmm. um and playing playing into that the the performances i was telling you off air are way better than they need to be to be yeah. honest um, this movie would have been entertaining with with shitty performances, but Anton Yelchin really brings it. Uh, you really feel for him throughout the entire movie, and Patrick Stewart. His a uh, it's funny because he's on the opposite end of the spectrum. He is utterly clinical, yeah, um, from beginning to end. Like he is just uncaring, unfeeling. He's looking at things as if it's like, oh, somebody spilled wine on the carpet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta take care of this. It's a problem. <laughs> Like he's looking at it like a really simple like janitorial issue or something. Keep the dogs off the carpet. Yeah, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, that's not exactly what happens. No, the no, the dogs. <laughs> that's not the inciting incident, no. by the way. Um, but yeah, Kyle, I, why did you pick this movie? By the way, uh, I wanted you to see it. Honestly, uh, it blew me away. Like this was one of those movies that I put off for so long that when I finally got around to it, I'm like, oh, now I know why. It had such a big hype around it, and I didn't even have any word of mouth around me. Like I just read it on like, oh, the horror movies this year, uh, hidden horror movies, hidden thrillers that people didn't really talk about, and this is definitely one of them. Uh, and I wanted you to see it, and I thought this would make for a good episode too. Uh, yeah. Um, plus, it's got a punk theme to it, and I'm definitely going to bring Salt Lake City. Punk. I was about to say, Kyle, there there is one guy in this movie that I've seen in one other movie, and I. I'm sorry that I don't know if this is offensive to you, but he makes me think of you. Like he doesn't remind, he doesn't remind me of you. He just makes me think of you. Which one, which one is it? Uh, the actor's name is Joe Cole, um, and he I, his nickname is Jujitsu. <laughs> oh, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I call him uh, I call him Scary Ron Weasley. He looks like uh, Rupert uh, Rupert. I can't think of his name. Rupert. Uh, whoever played Ron Weasley, he kind of looks like Ron. Uh, yeah, I actually can see that, but uh, I've only seen Joe Cole in one, one other movie, and that's uh, A Prayer Before Dawn. Um, I mentioned it to you before. It's about a British drug addict who goes to a Thai prison and oh. takes up takes up Muay Thai um, to like find salvation, kind of. It's a very good movie, but I know how you feel about prison. Yeah, <laughs> and no. it's, it's a very It's a deeply unpleasant movie, but he's, <laughs> he is exceptionally good in it, um, and he's also very good in this. Yes, he's, um, he's good. Um, yeah, he's he's. I would actually argue he's like one of the standouts in the cast. Uh, the whole band, everybody in the band. Uh, Aaliyah, I don't know how to say her last name. She's from Arrested Development. Um, she's in some stuff. Uh, Aaliyah Shaquat. 
the bassist. The bass it reminds me of the gal from uh, Almost Broad, Famous. Oh, I was going to say Broad City. Because uh, oh, they, they addressed that on Broad City. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. She, she has a pretty funny, uh, she has a pretty funny uh, episode in there. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, the other thing was the, the underground punk element. I just, I like, I kind of like movies about music, but I also don't at the same time. I, I have kind of a, I don't like biographical music films, but sometimes I like the element of a band in a film. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like Rockstar. Rockstar's a lot of fun. I, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's about Martin. Marky Mark uh, uh, being a lead singer for a fucking butt rock band, and it's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then again, I do like some autobiographical. I'm like, I like The Doors. The Doors is a good movie. I enjoy it. But the, the punk band element is because this is a, this is, um, I go to not these ex- exactly kind of shows, but I go to more of like hardcore, which is uh, an evolution of 80s punk. Uh, it just, it's a little more. You were the band that's playing after them, the guy that gives them the compliment. Yeah. I'm going to more shows like that, but, but, yeah, that, but not, but not that, <laughs> but not exactly that. But this is this is an environment that I'm comfortable with and okay. understand. So I was, I was like, about okay. to say, you, you you definitely have an affinity for like a little bit of the punk scene. Yeah, um, at least just from what I've gleaned from your taste in music and like your taste in movies. Um, I do not. <laughs> so this was interesting for me, but. That's the whole point of the show. Yeah, is pushing boundaries and stuff. Um, I actually had heard good things about this going in, so it was very nice to have an excuse to actually pull the trigger and watch it, because uh, I had heard very good things about this movie. Um, but we should probably get to yeah, it. Yeah, let's huh? jump to it. Uh, so yeah, we we uh, I love how it opens too. The the first thing you see, I mean, you see the A twenty four, all the all the stuff, and then it just says green. I like that's that's funny. Yeah, just title on black. Confident. I love it. Not it's not even a fancy font, just green room. On green room. Like, get ready. <laughs> 96 minutes, well, dude. Well, Hold actually, on. like, this is this is skipping ahead for, like, the next 30 minutes or whatever. But um, a lot of the first 30 minutes or so of this movie feels like exactly that. Like, mm-hmm. brace yourself. It's going to get it's going to get loud. It's going to um, get loud. Yeah. There, there's like elements. There's like calm moments and like explicitly like they have like an angelic drone playing over a lot of like yeah. shots with no sound and it feels like kind of like this is the last moment of peace before the before mm-hmm. the darkness starts to like very wash much. over things yeah and it's very effective because um i think i think both you and i ended up watching this movie the right way where we knew it was we knew it was worth our attention but we didn't exactly know what it was yeah um so when the bad things start happening uh, we don't exactly know when it's going to happen or what those bad things are, but it makes it that much more impactful. <laughs> yeah. Don't read about all I need to know is the gist and who the director is. And then I'm like, that's all I need to know. Just give me that. What kind of style is it? Who's the director? I can go from there. Yeah. Yeah. You figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. So yeah, we, the punk band, they're just in the middle of a cornfield. They got no gas. And I guess one of the dipshits left it on. I like their dynamic. You can kind of tell that uh, Aaliyah, she is. The, the responsible one of the group, she's the one keeping it together, because it's just, like, three smelly dudes and a girl, like, she's like, I gotta keep this, this thing tight. I gotta keep this group, like, on the straight and narrow here, because these idiots would fucking run us into the ground. So he's like, yeah, we don't have any gas, we gotta get to this last gig. Um, they pretty much have to go siphon gas from um, some cars nearby. No, you know, no money for a hotel room, and they they get to their next gig, which is somewhere in Oregon. Um, I It's not in Portland, they have to go to last show but uh yeah but they're they're gonna meet up with a fella who is 
he's planning to interview them, but he's also like their point of contact for their gigs yeah. in this region. Um, just to backpedal a couple of seconds, um, I wanted to point out some of the cinematography leading up to this. Okay. Um, I really loved uh, the tracking shot when they're riding the bike. Um, Anton, they have a bike in the back of the van. Uh, and the van's out of gas, so they need to get gas. And like you said, they end up siphoning it. But the way they get to the cars is uh, Anton Yelchin pulls out a he pulls out the bike, and then the gal gets on the back, and she's like taking pictures or recording the landscape behind them. And it's this like beautiful horizontal like tracking shot of them riding down the road together. Um, but then when they get to where they're they're going to siphon the gas, they like duck into this this like ravine, and it looks like a shot out of a war movie. Um, which plays into the later portions of the film in some ways. Yeah, it's really fascinating because, like, really their their posture and the way the camera follows them and the way that they dunk they duck into a literal bunker. It's like, oh shit! Looks like they're about to get shelled with artillery. Or something. I didn't even I didn't even catch that. I think I was writing down all these uh, all these moves May twenty four. I didn't catch that. <laughs> also, um, I noticed, uh, and it didn't occur to me until you were until you were talking just now. Um, before we get to the venue the the venue the titular green room yeah. um there's a lot of uh, overhead shots mm -hmm. uh, like verdant landscapes oh. of, of of forestry and just beautiful coastal shot oh, very much and and again that angelic drone plays over these shots and it gives it like a like a very pleasant feel like and we get a lot of close-ups of faces like smiling and you can tell that they're they're very close. They're like a family in some ways. I mean, yeah. they're a fucking punk band, and they live in a van. They've been a <laughs> they've been in a smelly van all across the U.S. touring for peanuts, basically. So yeah, they're pretty tight. Yeah, and like I couldn't, I can't help but feel that like perhaps like the significance of these these gorgeous overhead shots. Like I don't know if they're helicopter or drone based. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, is the fact that. After about thirty or forty minutes into this film, it becomes very claustrophobic. It very much um, does. It everything gets filmed in tight hallways and inside. Um, so this is like our last gasp of fresh air before things get really smelly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really stinky and dingy. <laughs> but I just wanted to point that out. But yeah, yeah. we meet a uh, a mohawked fella. Uh, I love that he he misspells mohawk when he's texting them on his is a was it blackberry? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, he tries to spell mohawk and it's like mohawked, <laughs> and then he corrects himself. It's a well, nice touch. I love the idea too of uh, them being a punk band because it's also it's not a genre. It's not a mainstream genre. It's never really been a mainstream uh, genre for well, the nineties. Point, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's uh, there was a pop punk. The there was a big pop punk fad uh, in the late late eighties, early nineties, around like when Green Day came around, uh, and that kind of boosted the scene a little bit, but this is even after that. Is well, I, I mean, think. Hollywood loves the Ramones. Like, yeah. <laughs> they love slipping the Ramones into kids' films. But I'm saying that <laughs> there, there was a moment for, like, straight-edge fucking, you know, punk bands. And even now, that's on the decline. Like, this this isn't even... It's hard to get shows for a band like this. Uh, and this guy's um, literally the promoter. Uh, he drew there. Uh, you don't see it until they leave. But he's like, this was the, the poster for the show that I did. They even go up until he's like, here, I got to go work tonight. You guys go chill, do whatever you want. And they like look into his stuff. And the front man is like, he's legit. Like he's got yeah. the legit records. Like he, he really is about the scene. Um, and yeah, they, this is where the, the terminology starts to creep in. He refers to him as true. True. <laughs> yeah. No, he's true. he's not a po He's not a poser. 
Exactly. We, we I learned this from SLC Punk. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that was even a concept of the pop punk band. So you guys are posers. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But they can also feed themselves. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is important. This is why. This is why I'm so angry. I think El Corazon's going to shut down, and El Corazon is like the last fucking venue in Seattle for this stuff. Really? When, when did you catch wind? When did you catch wind of that? Uh, I, I I think I heard it on the grapevine. I don't remember. I don't remember where I heard it, but I because think about the real estate too. Think about where El Corazon yeah. is. It's, yeah, it's right there, uh, right in Amazon. So. No, I mean, I, you you talk about it all the time, so that's shocking to me. The Actually, like four of the best shows I've seen have been in that venue. So, like, well, fingers awesome crossed shows. it sticks around because yeah, I know it's special to you. Yeah, it's a very special venue to me. Anyway, uh, so yeah, they 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 talk to the dude. They pretty much I like this. They, they have this nice little jump here. Like they grab his beers and she's get. Uh, I'm just gonna call her Mama. Mama's getting on to uh, the one kid. She's like, Hey, who you texting? Who you calling? And he's like, Don't worry about it. He's like, I pay the fucking bills, dude. Like, shut that shit down. They get their beers, and then he's putting the record on, and it just and it just cuts to the next. Yeah, one. that music transition was beautiful, perfect. Because uh, I think it's Anton Yelchin is leaving the room. He's like, "I'm going to bed." Yeah. Um, and everyone else, she says, "We're drinking." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, it's almost like a warning. Like the tone yeah. suggests that something bad's going to happen if you go to bed. You haven't um, lived. You haven't lived with hard partying drinkers in a house of four. Uh, I have, and I know how frustrating. <laughs> so I'm going uh, to bed. I only lived with my heads, and they were pretty lax. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty chill. Yeah, I but can yeah, sleep. The music transition is is beautiful because, like, I think they crack beers and then they put the needle on the on the record, and it just screams. It goes legalized, and then cut. Now. Hard cut. <laughs> and then uh, Anton wakes up to a knock at the door, yeah. and it's the true punker who I guess they're staying at his place. Yeah, um, and <laughs> I love that he just remarks. Ah, so you were the first one to go to sleep, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we we see in the very next shot that uh, they took a sharpie to Anton Yelchin's face. Because these kids, I mean, they're supposed to be like 22, 23. They're young. Like, this mm-hmm. is a pretty young little band. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's doing a little interview before the show. Uh, he's just kind of asking them some questions. And uh, the one big one he asked them, and I, I kind of like this. I don't know if you were familiar with any of the bands they mentioned. But it's just, I, wrote, I wrote all of them down because okay. I wanted to ask you. Yes. Uh, so so they, I can list them off if you'd like. Yeah. Well, well, uh, so he asked them, "All right, guys, Desert Island. What's the one band? Like, I guess you can bring all of their albums or whatever. But what band do you bring with you?" Yeah. So Desert Island band. Yeah. And uh, some of the names, well, all of the names that get tossed out here are the Misfits. Yep. Uh, the Damned, mm-hmm. Poison Idea, the Cro-Mags, Steely Dan, Candlebox. That's a fun. I think that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Music Juggalo and Britney Spears. Of course, yeah. I think. Uh, and what does Anton Yelkin say? Is his at the? I don't know that he actually answered. He does at the very end. Hmm. That that well, was he does later in the movie. Uh, but he. It may so, have been him that said, "What about Steely Dan?" So but it was kind of like a half-hearted. Like I only really like the one song from Steely Dan. Yeah. You, Do it again. It's mean, a fucking amazing well, song, but that's like the one song I know. One of the th- th- I like this because one of the uh, one of the things like the Sex Pistols were famous about. Uh, Sex Pistols were huge in the uh, you know punk movement in the UK. Uh, 
they were very standoffish. They were very, like, they didn't like to be interviewed. They didn't like to be asked questions. And Johnny Rotten was very much a smart ass. And he was very intelligent, too. Uh, but he was a pain in the ass, especially when it came to journalists. And I kind of get, like, yes, this guy is one of us, but I think they're kind of messing with him at the same time. The Misfits would be a legit choice for somebody like this. Misfits are pretty solid. Not a huge Danzig fan. I actually like the, the singer that came after Danzig. Um, but yeah, the Misfits is a good choice. The rest of them, I'm guessing, are pretty, like, punk bands that stayed pretty underground throughout their whole career. I'm not familiar with the rest of them, but I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen a Misfits t-shirt at some point. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That iconic image. And I think they were on a WCW show. I'm positive <laughs> they were. <laughs> Have you seen the Misfits? Yeah, he told me they're jacked. Um, so, I remember. <laughs> Glenn Danzig is about 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, but he mm. weighs about 230 pounds. He's a brick. He's a brick shithouse. Uh, Doyle is the the basis of the guitarist, I can't remember. Uh, no, Jerry Only only is the basis, and he's jacked. But Doyle is like fucking six three or six four. Damn, jacked! Like he's a big dude. Yeah. He also has like this really. Uh, it's it's either Jersey or I think it's Jersey. He's got this Jersey accent. So you just see this dude who looks like Lurch, and then he starts talking. He's got this New Jersey talking. accent. <laughs> he starts, Start, starts talking. It's it's so funny. Uh, hey, can I get some water? Can so I get some water? Water, water. <laughs> um, yeah, if I remember right, um, if memory serves, um, Randy Savage got into a tiff with them backstage. <laughs> I think it was over a woman or something, like his valet at the time. Not Miss Elizabeth, but like one of the <laughs> one of the other sluttier ones. Um, but yeah, uh, this this whole interview segment was really interesting because this is where they established that they they have very little internet presence. Um, something. Like you said, um, like in reference to the Sex Pistols, it seems like they they have that kind of stance when it comes to like doing press and self promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're kind of like more about the the purity of performance, I guess. Yeah, uh, the front man. Uh, we should come up with a name for him. He's the one with the green hair. I liked him. Uh, yeah, uh, Green Man. Green Man. <laughs> green Man. Call Green Man. Green you know, man. To be fair, he doesn't make it through much of this movie. Yeah, Green, green Man's actually a lesser element in the film, but yeah. he definitely stands out, um, yeah. especially in the early goings, because he's literally the front man of the band. Um, green Man, uh, he he's a strong advocate for like purity of performance, and the way he phrases it, if I remember right, is like, we we go out there, we do it, and it belongs to it belongs to the people who are present for it, and then it's not meant to propagate further than that. So they're they're kicking around the idea of maybe printing like actual records at some point, but they don't have the finances for it, so obviously we can't. But they don't like have a website or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and they're even a little bit standoffish about publishing the interview, which I, I guess is supposed to be a podcast because I think they are recording it. No, okay. because we do hear it later in the movie. Um, it, yeah, it's an audio recording. It's probably in the form of a podcast. Yeah. that. Um, I have yeah, to uh, <laughs> no go ahead. I have to agree with him. Uh, like listening to this type of music for years, like I've seen these shows, and this is this is a style of music that should be seen live. That that's the whole point. Is it has a lot of energy, and when you play it, when you see it live, that energy just transfers to the crowd, and that's why I love going to these shows because it's it, you just get hyped. Like it's a lot of fun being there. You can just feel it throughout the whole crowd, um, and you could tell like even when they do the performance, like. The Nazis at first are like, fuck you dudes, and then they're like into it. They fucking love it. And uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with them. Yeah, this is a it's a it's a style of music that should be seen live. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. I couldn't imagine myself just sitting down and wanting to listen to that style of music anyway. It's, it's doing stuff music. Yeah, exactly. You got to be up on your feet. You yeah. got to be moving around. You can't just be I, laying I in bed, listening to an essay to... while listening to someone scream. Sex and violence! Sex and violence! Sex and violence! Yeah, this is where uh, he, he lets them know, like, listen, the venue I had planned for you fell through because of the city or whatever he's just like it can't happen but i've got another gig lined up for you uh it's a lunch gig and you guys are going to be headlining it like is there anybody else playing like no so they are playing at a mexican restaurant in midday middle of nowhere oregon uh Mm -hmm. which is pretty embarrassing now i want to tell you a, a just a short story there's a there's a video on the internet of these kids playing an abandoned denny's like the denny's like the, the denny's shut down or maybe it was just that night they were gonna have a show and it's this high school punk band and they're fucking heavy and he's like they're getting ready to go and like what's up what's up what the fuck is up denny's and he just gets <laughs> into it and it's been a joke it's been a joke with me and my uh one of my other friends for uh, a while now and we went to warp tour uh this last this last summer and this band got up there and goes, "What's up? What's up? What the what the fuck's up, Denny?" Fucking lost it. It's so funny. But this is that mo- like this is them. They're doing a Denny's right now. Uh, yeah. It's like yeah. because the venues are are so small and the shows are so fucking cheap. It's like five dollar admission. I mean, ten for a, a kind of a known band. Like it's not expensive, and you play little shitty places like this, even restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's that's the life of a small band on the road, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's it's what it's what you got to do to yeah. to make it if yeah. you're even intending to make it, and these guys certainly are not. No, it, but you know, if you if you can make just enough to get from place to place, then you're living the life. Mm-hmm. Um, not being a slave to the man, <laughs> <laughs> or um, eating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or eat, no, they get paid in food. Yes, they, they get, get paid. rice and beans. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they end up making uh, six bucks off of this show, and uh, six bucks jiu- each. Yeah. yeah, the drummer Jujitsu Kid uh, is not is none too thrilled, and he nearly beats this kid's ass uh, over it. Yeah, uh, he he puts his forearm up to this true punker fellow's throat and puts him up against the wall, and this is where the nickname for me anyway Jujitsu came about because the green man, the front man. Actually, just refers to him as Jujitsu. Yeah, says, cool it, Jujitsu. I just called it. I just called him JJ. JJ, yeah. JJ works. JJ. <laughs> um, but as it so happens, you know this true punker guy. And by the way, he has a gigantic mohawk. It's an impressive mohawk. It's no joke. Oh yeah, and they do make note of the fact that when he first, when he initially meets them, it's at like five or six in the morning, which means he had to get up beforehand to do that thing up. Mm-hmm. So he, so he's all about keeping that mohawk like high and tight. <laughs> um, but to try to make it up for them. Uh, he gets them another gig. Uh, and so they're actually debating, like, raiding his house and, like, stealing his shit <laughs> to recoup their losses. Um, but, yeah, he gets them another gig, but he does have some stern warnings to them. Like, maybe don't play some of your songs. And uh, he uses older a stuff. phrase here. Yeah, he says, play your older stuff. Heavy stuff, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he uses a phrase here that maybe means more to you than it did to me at the time. Um, but he refers to the crowd in that in that venue as boots and braces. Um, 
Yeah, and basically he throws it out there. It's like, yeah, some right wingers that are going to be there. Maybe stick to your heavy stuff. Stick to your old stuff. Don't talk um, politics. Yeah, <laughs> I don't fucking talk love that. Politics. He does throw that out there. I love that. Don't talk politics. <laughs> Um, but yeah, before he sends him on his way, you can tell he's like genuinely apologetic. Like he's, he feels bad because he seems to care about them and their art and he wants them to have a good showing. Um, he, he gives them the, the flyer that he hand drew and he gives them the original, in fact, um, not a print. And it turns out he's a pretty fucking good artist. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then they drive off and uh, <laughs> I liked, uh, this was a very, this is a very genuine moment that I don't know if it's improvised, but it definitely could have been. Uh, this is where Jujitsu says, "Hey, I have something important to tell you." No, yeah, fart. Well, because <laughs> it was tense before they got there, and it was going to be even more tense. But now it's like you guys are going to get three hundred fifty dollars for the show, and like they even mold over, like, "Yeah, we have to do it for skin." Like, there's always skins at shows, but they don't really grasp the situation. Like, it's all like it's all neo Nazis, and yeah, like, yeah, we will do it, and. uh it seems like it's going to be, like, in all honesty, like, it looked like it was going to go off if you didn't know what you're getting yourself into. Like, oh, yeah, they're going to get out here, no problem. It's totally fine. It was well, I mean, I mean, the fact that they're, you know, uh, I made note of the fact that the way that they siphon gas uh, is very practiced. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they knew they knew what the fuck they were doing. Uh, they all seemed very comfortable with living this particular lifestyle. Yeah. So going to this kind of venue probably isn't as scary for them as it is for us, the viewer. Yeah, um, it's probably just something they're used to. Because I'm tense as soon as they take, as soon as they drive up, and like as soon as the cars park. Rewatching this, I'm like, oh fuck, man. Like, there's not a lot of hair in this place. <laughs> like you're like, I'm just my heart just dropped. I'm like fuck, like it. You, I feel like that sweaty butthole feeling where you're just like, this is not good. Like, yeah, this is the a bad part, parts of you clench that <laughs> normally you don't want to be clenched. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and yeah, the. The guy, they get out of the car, and the dude's cousin, he's just like, hey, are you guys friends with what the Mohawk guy? And they're like, yeah, you his cousin? Um, and he, he says, like, you guys look hungover. Uh, and he, there's something I didn't quite understand. Um, he he says something about, uh, the, he's like, that's what happens when you hang out there. And he, like, pushes, pushes him up against the van. And he says, don't mention that shit around here. I'm like, I don't know what he was referring to. I even put yeah. the subtitles on. I didn't I, yeah, that. I missed that too. But yeah, he gets physical. He actually grabs the front man. He grabs Green Man by the throat with that's his palm. That's a like, huge red flag for me. Oh, yeah. No, that that's that's uh, actionable. But, I mean, <laughs> at this point, like, what do you do, Trevor? Your, your, your name is on the marquee now. Like, you're going on in, like, 20 minutes. Like, do you just leave or do you just play the neo-Nazi show? I think it'd be better to not upset them at this point. Yeah, and just do what they ask, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably probably leaving without a whisper is probably not the best way to go about it. They they likely have resources in the area and not a lot to do. Uh, <laughs> and they're and they're they're from DC, so this is like the last show they're gonna go back to DC. And from what I can gather, my I live in North Carolina now, my friend lives in DC and that's who I go catch shows with, like Baltimore, uh, a couple places in Virginia. Um, I guess the punk like there's still a pretty good scene over here. Uh, so I think that they may not be doing well on the road right now, but I think they might be able to do pretty decent when they get back to DC. Hmm. I was not uh, aware of that. I was not aware of that. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're getting ready. Like they bring them in and like, listen, keep your shit out of the hallway. The, the fucking owner doesn't mess around with the fire code or whatever. Um, I do want to bring up the, 
I think really helps kind of set the tone for this, like the transition from tense to fuck, uh, is this mediator guy, the guy that's like, he's super calm, he seems super nice, he feels out of place. I didn't catch his name, but he's one of the main guys in the film. Yeah, I was it? calling him Little Guy. <laughs> little Guy? Because he's little and he has big eyes. Um, I could be 100% wrong, um, but the director of this film uh, has another film on his filmography from a few years earlier called Blue Ruin. Um, and I've heard, I've also heard that's very, very good. Um, and if memory serves, I think that guy is a major player in that movie. So this could be like a director bringing like a favorite actor mm-hmm. into a into a fairly important role in this movie. Uh, he stands out for sure. I like. Yeah, he he has a way about him that's very. He's he comes across as very distant, very alien, where you you can tell that he's he has some sinister qualities to him. But like you, I think you called him like the middleman. Yeah. Like he seems to he doesn't get his hands dirty. So he know he's aware of bad things that happen, but he's always a he, decent distance away from it. He handles the escalation perfectly, and even like watching him enter, like I feel like they're gonna be okay. He's like, guys, it's okay. Like he comes back with a gun. He's like, guys, it's okay. And he's still very calm, and he's still yeah. like trying very, to pretend that everything's fine. And he's very convincing. I'm like, damn, like he does such a good job of that. I think he. Well, I think his behavior actually kind of mirrors that of the girl that we meet later, mm-hmm. um, in that it's like. They've been around this so much that they're just utterly numb to it. Yeah. Where it's like, this is a pretty fucking serious situation, but maybe he's seen worse. Yeah. Like, maybe he's seen it enough times at this point that's like, okay, I guess I gotta get the gun. Oh, they've done this before. Like, this this has come up before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, they, they get in there. He's like, listen, uh, sound checks are 15. You guys go on in 20. Hang out for a minute. And uh, they kind of mess around in there they just kind of walk around in the green room for a minute and anton yelkin gets he's like hey i've got a fucking stupid idea um they're they're opening it's like one o'clock in the afternoon and um they get going and this is a cover by the dead kennedys that they start off with this is a really good idea by the way um to start off with the song it's called nazi punks fuck off by the dead kennedys um so i mean you're, you're playing a room of nazis and what <laughs> neo-nazis what better way than do nazi punks fuck off uh, and they're like the crowd's kind of not feeling it, but I feel like they they totally would like they would totally get the irony of the song. Uh, yeah, that that was a little unusual. Yeah. Um, it's funny because like part of you as the viewer suspects that this would be like the inciting incident or something. It's not. It's just them being a punk band at yeah. a punk show. Um, yeah. and you know shit happens. Nobody gets hurt. It's just it's a punk show. There is one giant monster. Uh, walking around the crowd, that when they start playing this, he spits his beard. I mean, this dude's terrifying. Uh, yeah. He's probably about 6'2", 220, 230, I don't know. How, it how it makes me say. think of uh, the bad guy from Bloodsport 3. Um, I don't know the actor's name. You you don't know the actor's no. name. Only thing is, uh, the only other credit I know of him having off the top of my head is apparently he played someone named Huge Aryan in American History X. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've seen that movie. It's like, uh, ah, so he has a look to him. <laughs> yes, he he does have very much a look to him. Uh, uh, but yeah, the the shots during the during their set here are pretty cool because we get a lot of lingering shots of the crowd, and like you said, there's like dissent. Like you can tell that not everybody's not everybody's keen on the the song that they're playing at the moment. Yeah, the two um, yeah the two neo Nazi girls um, they got the haircuts. 
um, yeah, they, they kind of stand out. Uh, two girls uh, with these stupid haircuts come up to, they're, they're pretty good looking, so they stand out. And they're talking <laughs> to the cousin. Uh, and one of them notices it. We, we notice it, but, I mean, other than that, it, nothing really happens here. But then they transition to their next song, uh, which is one of the originals. And they kind of, uh, let me just kind of go through the show a little bit. They just kind of show that the punks are into it. They're all feeling it. And it was a, it was a successful show, despite that, you know, Maybe poor choice for an opening, but also it's super fucking awesome because that's a story they can tell later. Like, yeah, we're in the middle of this, we're in the middle of Oregon. We play for these neo Nazis and we open with the Dead Kennedys cover. Like, oh, was, they didn't, they hated it, but they ended up liking the rest of the show. I'm like, yeah, that's that was a good idea. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and we we get the very last of uh, of these soundless montages where there's mm. just this like angelic droning music playing over slow motion footage of like people moshing and stuff. Um, so this is like them and their element having a great ass time, uh, being a punk band. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we immediately head to the post show and we're back in the hallway and, uh, we're told to like make way for Cowcatcher essentially because uh, Cowcatcher now has occupied the, uh, the green room. And, yeah. Uh, we're, we have this huge bouncer guy. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember, huge he's, the, bouncer guy. he's the guard that, uh, he's the guy that gets killed, uh, by the Indominus Rex in uh, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. He's yeah. God. He's got he's got a little bit of a jiggly midsection. Yeah, um, yeah. which is not it does not make him built very well for running. Um, so when that Indominus Rex comes for him, uh, he got no hope. <laughs> I've, always as, I've always associated him with comedic roles because I think I've seen him in something where he plays a funny guy, but he's also just terrifyingly big like he's just enormous he's really really big but yeah he the way he delivers his dialogue makes me suspect he's actually a very talented actor because mm-hmm. um, he he stands out in this movie not very just much. from a physical standpoint he has some good fucking lines yeah and he has a really interesting quality about him because like you said uh he he's largely affable like, mm-hmm. like in the early goings of this movie he's very friendly he's, he's actually the friendliest friendly. one yeah yeah like he he's carrying one of their amplifiers and like he's He's, I'll be careful. He's yeah. he's quick to hop off the stool to help him out. He's a nice guy, but then he's not, <laughs> and yeah. he does both quite quite capably. I like him. <laughs> yeah, I, I like him, but I mean, in all honesty, like everything was going just fine. This was a successful show, even yeah. though it was full of neo Nazis. It it went off without a hitch. Yeah, until uh, <laughs> until, until now, hitch emerges. Uh, so the hitch uh, arrives in the form of Mama. <laughs> Uh, the one gal in the punk band, uh, which, uh, by the way, they're called the Ain't Rights. Um, yeah. And then uh, the green man, uh, the front man, he does note that on the on the marquee, it's written Aren't Rights. Um, yeah. He's like, God damn it, you couldn't even get her name right. <laughs> he even says that when they're getting ready to start the show, he's like, we're the uh, Ain't Rights. Or the AKA Aren't Rights. The aren't rights. <laughs> yeah, <either way. laughs> uh, that's very catty. But, you know, I'd be I'd be upset, too. If, you know, I just had to play an extra gig at a Nazi place. Yeah. <laughs> and then they didn't even get my name right. And they've got cash in hand, I think. Like, they're ready. They're good to go. Yeah, I think they're they're piling into the van at this point. However, Mama left her phone in the ground. Yeah. Uh, and Anton being the, you know, dutiful, friendly, friendliest guy in the fucking van. <laughs> He's the most innocent, friendliest guy in the van. Uh, he says, oh, I'll get it. And he runs into the green room, uh, which is not locked. And he just kind of, he comes in and he knows exactly where the phone is. So he like run he makes a beeline straight for it. He pulls out the charger and he's like, oh, don't mind me. Sorry. 
that's a woman on the floor with a knife in her head. Yeah. <laughs> like not not in her throat, not like in her gut, in the side of her head. In the side <laughs> of her head. Not not like the temple, like the top of the head. That's hard to get in there. That's basically. hard to get into. You gotta commit to that. You gotta like aim that shit and take your time with it. And that monster from the fucking crowd is just standing over her body. There's another fat guy in there. And then there's um, one of our uh, characters that's going to join the group here. Um, I didn't catch her name. She's just, I'm going to call her Nazi punk. She, she's just. That's the, what I was calling her. I was calling uh, her Nazi girl. Nazi, Nazi punk. girl. Yeah, Nazi, Nazi girl. <laughs> because um, I mentioned to Trevor um, before we were recording that these two girls have what I've read is uh, was a, a fad at least for a while for neo-Nazi girls to have was to have a short, almost shaved head. If you remember Faruka Bulk uh, in American History X, her haircut basically, where its bangs are long and the rest of the head is shaved. Um, except this is a little bit nicer where it's long in the front, but there's a little bit of hair instead of shaved head. It definitely looks like something you got to do to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't really ask someone to do that for you because no. it's, it's kind of raggedy. It's not it's a great like, look. It's kind of like someone asking somebody to, to tattoo a swastika on your forehead. Like, listen, I'm not doing that at this shop. You're going to have to do that at home. <laughs> <laughs> i'm exactly. not doing that for you some tattoo artists will just will not do tattoos for you i'm like i'm not doing that <laughs> exactly uh, uh so yeah we got a knife in the head and the big dude he this is where he switches uh and i mean nazi girl she's pretty upset about this whole like this whole situation um and we're like what the fuck like anton yelkin like tries to run out of there and call the cops uh every, like the band knows at this point they see it the big dude comes in like i told you not to go in there I'm like yeah fuck. yeah just, i don't want this guy mad like, at me. yeah i think he tells him like you, you were supposed to follow you were supposed to follow me out basically you weren't supposed to go back in there you're just no. supposed to follow me out lock the fucking door he even yeah, says it, it wasn't didn't you... locked it wasn't locked idiots <laughs> uh but yeah the 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 uh, energy level spikes. Yeah. Um, I mean, and this is a movie about a punk band, so to say the energy spikes means it really fucking shoots through the roof. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, like bodies start piling into the hallway uh, leading up to the green room. Anton is intercepted on the stairs leading out. Uh, he does successfully call the police. Um, he does. He's quick. He's quick. He knows what to do. Um, but the little guy and the big bouncer uh, kind of shove them back into the green room. And they managed to wrestle the phone out of Anton's hand. Um, and at this point, this is when the little guy very casually strolls out to a trailer uh, beside the venue. And we get this just like sustained, long sustained, sustained shot of him just like walking out to the trailer. Door shuts, opens again. And he comes out and he's got a big ass revolver. And he just, you can, like, he practically lets out an audible sigh. Just like, yeah. <sighs> fucking kids. And this is, and this is like, we the tones changed now we're like fuck this is a situation but he's playing it so cool that even me as the viewer i'm like i mean maybe they can get you out kind of this. believe him like, i totally believe him yeah and he's well, and like, also it, another thing to the credit of this film is that the way this progresses this whole situation is i guess realistic i'm not sure um but it plays out totally different from how you'd expect because it's so clinical because the <sighs> The number one concern at this point isn't like isn't like eliminating the people who witnessed this murder or whatever. It's like keeping them keeping them restricted, like not letting them leave until we figure out how best to until we figure out that. how best to handle this. So it's like in a in a 
different, like more poorly written movie, it would immediately turn to violence or something. Mm-hmm. But no, we get a very long stretch of time where we're basically just locking them in this room and on on our end, on the Nazi end of things, trying to figure out how best to resolve the situation. Like, violence isn't the number one option for them. No. It's actually the last, um, which makes a lot of sense. Because yeah, I don't think anybody actually wants to kill anyone. Well, I mean, they're also... I, I'm sure I don't know much about the code of neo-Nazis, but they have a pretty targeted group of people they dislike, and I don't think this group of people falls yeah. under that group. So I don't really feel like there's a lot of hatred or rage towards them. Yeah, heterosexual white people that play the music we like. Yeah, mm. that's I mean, that, those are good people. I mean, we might have a recruiting opportunity here. <laughs> like, just saying. That that would have uh, been like option C. It's like, would you like to join our party? Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think about white nationalism? We, we have finger sandwiches on Wednesday. <laughs> so there, there's a few things here I want to address. Like, there's a few things that happen here that really have an impact on what happens with them. So. At first, he gets the gun. He gets them back. He's like, he tells them calmly. He like presents the gun to them, and they're like, "Fuck, what's happening?" He's like, "Guys, just calm down. I need you to go in the room. Just go in there, just stay in here." And the cops end up calling back on the phone, and gun guy takes the call outside, um, and they're gonna get the next show going basically. And that other band are in there, and they're getting ready to leave. Um, I do like this. The big dude just kind of comes up to this Antonio. This is a chilling exchange. It's so good. He just looks at him. He's like. It's a pretty decent set, man. He's like, what was that second to last song you played? And this guy is like dead in the eyes. His demeanor's completely changed from when he was out. Like he was like headbanging kind of energy, spitting beer at him. Now he's completely different. Like he's just like dead behind the eyes and he's just like, it's pretty fucking rad, dude. And then they just go out and they're about to start their set. Yeah. Well, so this, the song, um, by the way, is Toxic Evolution. And the significance of him asking that is he said, he tells Anton Yelchin directly to his face, very calmly, um, that's the song that I did her to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Anton Yelchin, by the way, his performance in this movie, he's the one who is most obviously affected by everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the other members of the band, especially Jiu-Jitsu, he's more resolute and, like, meeting things head on. Mm-hmm. He's, he's more, I don't know, he's sturdier. Yes, Anton is is very much rattled right from the get go. He's practically in tears already. Yeah, and things haven't even really got rolling. <laughs> JJ is actually kind of the muscle, and he is. The, he's the also two... like the de facto leader once things start escalating. Yeah, a- Anton's it's kind of being thrust onto him because the other two, uh, uh, Mama and Green Man, are just kind of they're kind of just reacting emotionally. They're not really they're not really doing much um, well she she's trying to not be involved and green man is just kind of acting on whatever later on jj tells him to do like if jj says jump i jump yeah um so, but yeah one thing that i wanted to point out here is uh when when we get this exchange with the the front man of Cowcatcher, uh saying this awful thing to anton um this is after we get a really horrible scene with Awesome, if you ask me, <laughs> but I'm a twisted individual. Of uh, this fella dragging the gal oh, across yes. the floor by the... so mama yeah. remarks that, like, is she dead? Like, there's not a whole lot of blood. And cowcatcher guy reaches down, grabs the, the handle of the knife, and starts pulling it, and it's stuck. And 
I'm not quite sure how they pulled off this effect. It's Maybe good. it was just really good crazy glue or something. Probably not. Probably a little bit more complex. But basically, it's a very genuine looking moment where he pulls on this knife that's embedded in this girl's head and her body starts to move because mm-hmm. the knife's lodged in there. So he starts dragging her whole body by the head. And then the knife comes out. And then the blood comes out. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's dead. So it's basically this guy is the worst human being. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Patrick Stewart's pretty high up there. He's pretty shitty. He's uh, pretty shitty, but you know, he's he's also Patrick Stewart. By the yeah. way, he also gets introduced during the sequence. And if yeah. you ask me, this is the right way to introduce Patrick Stewart into it is any perfect. movie. Yes. It's fucking perfect because so, he pulls up in a van. This is and... this is say this is the chain of events that's really good. Um, well, I'll let you I'll let you introduce Patrick Stewart, but this is another one of those moments where the little guy is kind of like this seems like where it's gonna everything's gonna be okay because the cops call back and he's like yes we were reporting a stabbing well that's exactly what happened so it almost seems like okay they're gonna they're gonna talk to the cops they're gonna get this figured out everybody's we're just gonna keep our mouths shut we didn't see anything we don't know what happened they could say it was an accident or something like that who knows but it's kind of a moment where you're like okay it's gonna be okay what he does is he goes out to this trailer um, and put a pin on the, the trailer and this whole setup that they have here because I have a real problem. Um, hang on a sec, sorry. Okay. Uh, dogs are barking. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, he goes out to, the, to, the, to this trailer and he's like, I need 300. He's like, you just pulled out 350. He's like, uh, I, gotta, I gotta take care of something. So he gets these two little, I call them Edward Furlong meth twins. And he's like, I need you to stab him. Like you guys are gonna, you're gonna stab him. You're gonna get arrested. It's not even gonna be a felony charge, but you guys gotta take it. And these look like they're like recruits at this point. These kids are like they're 15, and they're like, wouldn't even be the first time I've been stabbed. I'm like these fucking kids. So yeah, they're basically gonna pay them off to get rid of the cops. I'm like, oh yeah, it's taken care of. Enter Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah. So it needs to be said there's a hierarchy here. Yes. Um, we have we have like three chief antagonists um, in the form of the little guy who previously had the gun. So he's the middle management. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he holds conference with a fellow who, I guess I'm going to call him Peter Stormare. He's, um, he yeah. speaks a lot of German in the movie. Um, and I was going to call him the Beastmaster. Beastmaster. <laughs> he looks like Peter Stormare in, in uh, 8mm. <laughs> he, he does look exactly like Peter Stormare <laughs> in 8mm. Like, he looks Spot a lot on. like him. Yes. Um, so he holds conference with him, and there's a lot of reference to somebody named Darcy. As Darcy. soon as things, as soon as things start to go bad, uh, this name Darcy starts getting thrown around a lot, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out it's Sir Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, Peter Stormare and the little guy they they hold conference, and the little guy is like, he says, "I need X number of dollars and some true believers." And like you said, we get a couple of teenage meth heads who, um, God, it's it's amazing how like calculated and well thought out this is both from mm-hmm. like a scripting standpoint and just like within the internal logic of the movie yeah uh, because the little guy even notes that like oh use this knife to stab him because the length of the blade doesn't constitute a felony mm-hmm. so you will go to jail but it won't be a serious charge and you know the, your twin brother won't be seriously injured either so that takes care of the cops that takes care of the stabbing incident uh, and then, yeah, a van pulls up, and it's Sir Patrick Stewart. And the reason why I said this is a perfect way to introduce Mr. Stewart uh, is he is introduced from behind and via voice. Yes. And that's all you need, because you know who that 
fuck that is. Like, you see a bald head and you hear that voice. And it's like, yep, yep, that's Captain Picard. Did you catch, <laughs> did you catch what was on the side of his vehicle? I did not. I caught it this second time. Uh, on the side of his vehicle, it says 24-hour emergency response. So he is in some kind of emergency. He's in some kind of position where he should be there. Uh, I didn't. I don't know what the significance is. I don't know why it comes up, or I don't know why it's on there. But I just happened to notice it this time. Huh. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like some of these people were part of like a militia of some sort. So maybe okay. it's something like that. I don't know. Let, let, let me address that real quick because th- this doesn't this this compound doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So we have um, we have have a venue and it's Patrick Stewart says a little bit later. Uh, he says, "Remember, this isn't a party. This is a movement." Uh, and you can, I mean, clearly these are like an organized neo-Nazi group. So we have. Uh, a trailer outside the venue that clearly has guns and money. Um, unregistered weapons, by the way, which is Uh-oh. a huge plot point. Um, unregistered weapons, and you have a venue, and then, spoiler alert, downstairs is some kind of operation. I don't know if it is drugs or if it's bombs. Uh, uh, it could be both. <laughs> I mean, it the way it's the way it's presented to us, I would suspect it's drugs. Okay. That's what um, I was feeling like, too, but I, it was inconclusive for me. I'm like, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but it, it, it seems irresponsible. If you're going to be having people drinking and partying and like listening to live music and shit might get out of hand, we might have to call the authorities. It seems kind of irresponsible to have all of it right here. You have yeah. the trailer. <laughs> Fair you good. basically have the, the books. He's literally doing the books in the trailer next to the yeah. venue. I'm like, this seems kind of stupid. But anyway, I just wanted – that was my one problem. I mean, you're you're not wrong for sure. Like, <laughs> like that, that that those things should go together. <laughs> um, separate. But yeah, uh, we cut back to the the titular green room, and uh, we get some really cool dialogue from the huge bouncer guy about cartridges and cylinders. Mm. Uh, it's really it's a very good demonstration of um, the the difference, like in terms of. Like mindset between the the punk band, the Ain't Rights, and the neo Nazis. Um, basically, they're the punk band. They're panicking about the gun being in the room, and one of them mentions uh, bullets and and like shell casings and stuff. And the bouncer guy very clinically just kind of like says, "Shut the fuck up! You don't even know what you're talking about." And he he throws like the proper terminology at them in a very clinical, like calm fashion. It's like, oh man, like that's that's not the kind of person you want holding a gun to your face. Somebody no. who's okay with holding that gun to your face, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you, it it creates like a, a really interesting dynamic between the two parties, where it's like is this is there a fucking punk band of kids, and then a bunch of adults who are looking at things in terms of like very clinical terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, outside, Patrick Stewart is like talking strategy and how best to contain and deal with things and. This plays out almost like a like a crime scene, like procedural, like a like a Law and Order or CSI or something, but with better writing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and we keep cutting back and forth between uh, Stewart and his his two buddies, uh, Peter Stormare and the little guy, like rooting through the punk band's van and trying to work through the logistics of things. Um, and then we cut back to the punk band, and this is where the uh, the phrase "I think we go" gets thrown out, and this is very very significant. Um, so this is this is um, like internal logic of the of the punk band. 
So go means fight, essentially. Um, and they're kind of, this is almost, it's not code speak, but it's just an interesting way of phrasing that because it's a very low key way of phrasing it. I, I have a, I have a friend who they had a go code. It was, it was, I am the bull. <laughs> Jeez. And the, the reason for it was that it was, you know, it, it was low key to the extent that it's like, I don't, nobody's, nobody's going to know what that means except for the people who, who it's important to. Yeah. And this, in this case, like, I think we go is like, go as in like, make a run at the man holding the gun. Um, uh, also, uh, Lucky uh, Lucky Logan, um, Cauliflower. Cauliflower. <laughs> Cauliflower. I hated that in that movie. The movie's great, but the, I'm like, that was stupid. <laughs> the last time you said Cauliflower. <laughs> Jesus. It's the same deal, though. Yeah. It's a yeah. code word. Um, and then things get start, they start to get kind of weird here, because the... I think Patrick Stewart arrives on the other end of the door, by the way, because they're, yeah. they're, they've locked themselves into the green room. Um, and they start ordering the big guy to give the kids the gun. Yeah. The uh, the other band is playing. Uh, the music that they use for this is the band's called Corpus Rotus or Rotus. I'm not really sure. But uh, they're really Cannibal Corpse-esque. Got a real thrash metal thing going on. I'm like, I was watching this the first time. I'm like, these guys aren't that bad. I've definitely seen bands <laughs> like this open before. I'm like, they're not horrible. Uh, yes, I love this. Is like, give them the gun. <laughs> he's like, what? They're telling the big, the big dude, like, hand over the gun, and he asks, <laughs> "Is Darcy here?" And he's like, "Yes." He's like, <laughs> yes. As soon as he hears that, he's like, "I don't know, and I approve this message." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, just the big Make dude. it so. <laughs> Make it so. That would have been pretty fun if he would have said that. Engage. <laughs> but but yes, this is when I was first watching it. I'm like, okay, what's happening now? Like, you have my attention. What What's the plan? <laughs> we really don't know. You can see that the neo-Nazis are trying to think. Of, like, they've got a plan. And you're, as the viewer, trying to figure out what, what are they doing? We've, we didn't mention, but... Um, there are dogs. Uh, when we first are going, like when we first get to the venue, we pass like a, a fenced-in air, or like a, a gate that's locked with a padlock, and we hear dogs. And I didn't think about it, think of it much at first, but then we kind of, the dogs kind of come up again. But the dogs have played an important part in this movie. But they do they do kind of hint throughout the film a couple times that the dogs are coming. Oh yeah. Yeah, um, they absolutely do. And by the way, this is that's Peter Stormare's job. Yes, he's the dog rancor. He's the beastmaster. He's the beastmaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at some point, um, this this scene actually goes on for a few minutes. But it's pretty long. Essentially, it's very tense. It's very well edited. But um, what it boils down to is that that phrase that I mentioned. I think we go finally comes into play, uh, and we get some effectively awkward combat. Uh, it's very realistic. Um, mm-hmm. To the point that it's like, man, uh, you, you kind of have to like work at making that look as awkward and realistic as you did. Like, like, like it's, it doesn't look choreographed. It looks very genuine. It's very effective. Well, Green Man jumps Big Dude and bites him. I'm like, Green Man's big enough. Just bite him, dude. He's It's not going to hurt him. <laughs> like, just I mean, bite yeah, the actor. Green, Green Man, it needs to be said, these are punk rockers. They're skinny as fuck. Ex- and- except for JJ. And yeah. even he's like five six though. <laughs> he's, he's he's the size of like Anton Yelkin and like Green Man. They're like an inch or two uh, taller or shorter than me, and they both weigh probably one forty, one forty five. Yeah, and this and dude. You you squash JJ down a couple inches, and like 
he's probably the same weight as me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe They're 150. Small. I'll give him 150. It yeah. Tops. And, yeah. uh, yeah, homegirl, mama, she's, you know, probably 125, 130 pounds. Like, she's, yeah. she's nothing big. Yeah, this dude small is <laughs> fucking 300 pounds. Easily. He, he he uses the phrase "I will crush you." Uh, he will crush you, <laughs> and he's yes. fucking serious. Yeah, and he fucking demonstrates at one point. Um, uh, but yeah, JJ, uh, Green Man makes a run at him, and I love the fact that he jumps on him, and like you said, his opening move is basically to bite him on the neck. Um, but I love the way that he lands on him because it's not good. No, like, he doesn't get all the way around him because he's too big. Like he yeah. didn't get enough height on the jump, so his arms like kind of hanging off of him. He doesn't have a good hold on him. And then the big guy just takes the bite and just smashes his face. Just like a couple of right crosses right in the fucking face. Mm. <laughs> and he tosses him across the room. I think Mama gets in there too and tries to restrain him. Yeah. But then finally, JJ gets in there and wrestles him onto the floor. By the way... Uh, it takes three of them to get him down. It takes all yelled, three of them. He, she yells yeah. at the, the neo-nuts, the, the punk girl, and like she's like kicking his knees trying to get him down. Yeah, it times. takes the entire room to take this guy down. But JJ wrestles yeah. f- him to the floor and puts him in an arm bar, but not before we get a lingering shot of uh, of the big guy kicking his heel into a vent that's towards mm-hmm. the bottom of the floor. So it's a vent facing outward into the hallway. Put a pin in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he gets wrestled onto the floor and put in an arm bar. Um, and JJ just kind of holds him there, so he's restrained him effectively. And it's a, uh, it's, you know, this is this is again another instance of this film doing unexpected things, where it's like you'd expect this explosion of violence to continue to be violent, but it's like no, again, I'm pretty sure everyone in this situation actually doesn't really want to seriously hurt anyone. It's just mm-hmm. kind of we're trying to fucking figure this out, and unfortunately, it resulted in violence. Um, but at some point, JJ asks, like, says, "Okay, I'm gonna let you up now, but you're gonna have to like sit in the corner." Because by the way, they took the gun from him. They have the gun. Yeah, it's a cannon. And, it, yeah, it's a, part of the significance of him walking them through the finer points of the firearm he's carrying is the fact that it's not a six shooter revolver; it's a five shooter because the bullets are too big. <laughs> yeah, because they're audibly like they're saying like, yeah, there's only six. There's six shells in there, and he's not fast enough to shoot us. He's like, there's actually is like it's not six shells. There's like, five actually, shells. Actually, it's only five because, because these bullets will explode your head. These are huge. Yeah, <laughs> these are huge bullets, and I'm and a it, huge guy. <laughs> it's it's not gonna break my wrist to shoot with one hand. I exactly. I have control of this gun. One of the more. <laughs> I thought this was fucking hilarious. Um, so JJ has the big bouncer guy on the floor in an armbar, like I said, um, and he does say, "Okay, I'm gonna let you up now, but you're gonna you're gonna calm down, right? You're gonna sit. Uh, what's it? Crisscross applesauce. applesauce. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna sit crisscross applesauce against the wall. He's like, he's like I'm gonna. So repeat to me <laughs> what? Yeah, what? Repeat to me. What are you gonna do when I let you go? And he just pauses for a second. The big guy says. But fuck everyone in the room. <laughs> it's good. It's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, so, yeah, and then we cut back to Patrick Stewart, and uh, they're continuing to talk numbers and shop. Uh, they're because... staging something. Yeah, uh, because whatever plan A was is starting to go tits up because, I mean, they no longer have the gun. They no longer... Well, I mean, actually, they did want the kids to have the gun, but their inside man... The big guy is now restrained and he's in danger. Uh, and I got the sense that they were calling soldiers essentially. Like, mm-hmm. And turns out I was right. They're calling some muscle. Yeah. 
Um, and this is where it started to become apparent. I was like, oh, that's why we hired Patrick Stewart, because this is like all the dialogue he's delivering is essentially Star Trek speech, mm-hmm. where it's like, like I was telling you off air, like Star Trek dialogue is, is a lot of like phony tech jargon. Like, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that even the actors reciting it have no fucking clue what it means because no one does. It's all bullshit. It's like tangentially related to to actual factual science, but it's all it's all bullshit at the end of the day. But part of being an actor is being able to speak that dialogue and believe in it. And that's kind of what he's doing here. Is he's he's talking in these like elliptical terms. It's like I don't quite know what he's talking about, but he does. And it's very effective because of that. It's very provocative. And I thought that was really cool. Because like I said, it, we have these two separate parties in this movie, the, the band and the Nazis. And they all they all talk to each other like they understand each other, like they're family, essentially. And like in something that's well-written like this, you shouldn't have to like pander to the audience and spell it the fuck out to people. Because there's so much visual storytelling in this movie. Like, for instance, the, the gals in the crowd at the punk show. Mm-hmm. Where it's like you, you know, if your eyes caught that, cool. If they didn't, you still figure it out at some point. In fact, it yeah. is spelled out to you later. But yeah, there, there's a lot of little touches in this movie. They're very, very clever. Um, yeah, the, but yeah, this is where red laces comes up. I think. Yeah, he he says, um, "I need I need boots, red laces only." Uh, from what I understand, red laces means um, somebody who has performed an act of violence with association of the group. Uh, I'm not sure if that's necessarily killing somebody or if it means getting pinched, like actually going to prison or jail for something. But they've definitely, they've definitely done something really, Some, really bad. Somebody who's proven that they can do what you're asking them to do in this instance. Yes. Um, and yes, he needs he needs the loyal people. Um, the cousin kind of makes his way back in the film. He's he's kind of just kind of touched on briefly. Um, but he gets into his car at one point, and Patrick Stewart kind of comes up to him, he's like, "New car," something like that. I don't, I don't know what prompts it exactly, but uh... I think he just—I mean, the cousin of of the the punk guy who with the mohawk—he's um, he's just kind of lingering around the venue, and you get the sense that he's part of the inner circle, but maybe on the periphery of it in some fashion, yeah. because he's not the go-to like Peter Stormare is. Like as soon as things start becoming problematic, he the little guy escalates it to him, and then he escalates it to Patrick Stewart. Uh, the cousin, though, seems like he he's high enough he's high enough on the tier list that he's included in these conversations, but he's like the last one to find out about it. Yeah. So I'm guessing he's like a, a lieutenant that's maybe fallen out of favor a little bit. So they yeah they keep, he's got they his kinda, they keep him around. But they don't actually allow him to do anything until things start to escalate to like nasty extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's a put a pin in it character. Like he, he, we come back to him, he doesn't really start to become significant until like the last third of the movie, essentially. But he's there from early on, and he's just kind of hovering around, and we're all we're all wondering like, what's the significance of this guy? And then when it does come to light, it's actually essentially like the catalyst for the entire movie in some ways mm-hmm. um, speaking of which uh, we go back to the green room and we're starting to look for solutions yeah we, so we start poking around ceiling fixtures looking for like maybe there's a way out through there there are not however we do acquire some fluorescent tubes 
and a metal rod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm, weapons. And there's definitely no escape through the ceiling. Um, and then Anton, um, by the way, there's another person in the room. Uh, this is the Nazi girl that we mentioned. Um, she's very important to the plot. Um, so her and her friend were the ones that were in there with Cowcatcher before the, the ain't rights got in there. Um, he asks her, like, is it okay if I search your dead friend? Um, so he roots through the corpse's pockets and stuff, and he finds a note that says Fleischwolf. Um, and at the time, no one really knows what that means. Uh, Mama deduces that it's it's like like meat salad or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no one really knows what that means. Uh, it is laid out to us much later. But point is, the gal was carrying a note that said Fleischwolf. Um, and now she's dead. Uh, but then the lights get cut out. Yeah, and uh, this is where uh, I, my note says punk girl is punk <laughs> so this would be the Nazi gal uh, and she lights a cigarette she has like it's like a book of matches or a lighter and she lights a cigarette and she just says careful now <laughs> and I was like as soon as she said that I was like I hate her <laughs> I, I absolutely hate this girl <laughs> this is where her her role kind of i'm like what what's her deal like i've definitely had red herrings and people who play like oh i was a part i was a victim in this like i was a part of it and then they turn and like oh i was a I part was of the somewhat expecting that yeah and this was that moment where i'm like huh what have we got here but she i really like this move she lights a cigarette and uh she hands it to the big guy she's like here smoke this she's like if the cherry does anything you don't like shoot him i'm like nice um so yeah the lights go out for a minute, then they get kicked back on, and this is an opportunity for Patrick Stewart to go out and tell the heathens, like, hey, listen, backup generator's on, but we're going to have to cancel for tonight. I do love this whole spiel that he does. He's like, all right, Sunday, we'll have you folks back over on Sunday. Uh, no no cover, char- no cover charge, and dr- uh, drinks will be half price. You know what? Fuck it. From two to four, they'll be free. And uh, this is where he's like, this is, not a, this is not a party. This is a movement. And they all fucking leave. He says, uh, Wednesday's group will still be meeting. Uh, <laughs> Race, so... Racial advocacy. <laughs> racial advocacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, now we're about to turn the screws. Now we've been warned. Um, things can pick up, but now... Now they're they're gonna show no mercy. You 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 think you know what you're in for now? No mercy. <laughs> um, yeah. So so the red laces arrived. And... Oh, I'm sorry. I had a I had a moment here. That's when I sent you the video. I was at this scene because oh. it reminded me of Salt Lake City Punk, where they're in like Utah or whatever. And he's like, "What about Nazis? They're probably devil worshippers." He's like, "I don't see Nazis as devil worshippers. I just see them more as a gathering of people." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was what? great. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of the better moments of that whole movie. <laughs> that might be one of the. That might be the second best moment of that whole movie. Yeah, I mean, Chris, Chris McDonald takes the. He takes the crown. Like for me, he holds the belt in that movie. He's oh. the reigning champ of that movie. Um, but th- there's a lot of good moments in that movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, I'm glad you made me watch it. You, so you yeah, and your punk cinema. <laughs> right? I'm not gonna. You, did you like Sid and Nancy? I gave you Sid and Nancy. I got halfway through and I didn't finish it. Yeah, I will okay. have to though, okay. because I mean, fuck, Gary Oldman's amazing. In it. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, now we're going to be doing the uh, the old gun swap. Now this is a very, this is there's a lot of stuff happening here. Yeah, it's like my my voice is getting hot, hoarse. 
it, would it be all right if I spoke like this? <laughs> Can you hear me through the door? <laughs> and yeah, we have a we have a chat. It's it's fairly diehard esque <laughs> yeah. because it's the the hero and it's the protagonist and the antagonist of the film uh, having a conversation. They can't see each other, but through a doorway. And uh, Anton is elected as the representative of the punk yeah, right. band, just fucking because you can tell he's the last person that wants to, but Mama gives him the nod and he has to step up. And again, he is essentially in tears during this entire exchange. Like he he is deeply upset. He does not want to be involved in this. Um, but basically, Patrick Stewart says he he claims to want them out, like, not harmed. He just wants them out. And I. Uh, there's a lot of repetition of like where are the cops are the cops coming back and he keeps Stuart keeps reinforcing that the cops have come and gone they're a non-factor going forward yeah uh, which does <laughs> does not make Anton feel good about things I'm sorry we forgot to mention that we take everything out of the big guy's pockets have they done that now uh, yes uh, they Just have him turn his pockets out yes and they he has find a box knife <laughs> He has the box cutter, and he had a cell phone that he smashes real quick. Sorry. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, that's a very important detail that is, again, a symbol of just how well put together this movie is. Uh, there's so many little details that, that folks like you and me like pick up on. That it's like, man, that, that adds up to something important. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. that. <laughs> it's like, I noticed that. Um, cell phones are buzzing throughout the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie constantly. Like during dialogue scenes, in fact, um, you'll just hear someone's butt, like their back pocket, just go all throughout the movie up until a certain point. And this would be that point where at this point, phone is important. In fact, Anton elects to try to trade the gun for a phone because (laughs) I mean, like any, any normal person, that's your instinct is to call for help. Like that's, that's how, especially city folk anyway, you're, you're wired to believe that in an instance where something bad is happening, you're supposed to call someone to help. He's, he asks for a... He's like, give me, can we give you the gun for the phone? And it's important, he says, the gun's not registered, and that is uh, a felony. Big time. Can't have mm-hmm. that. Uh, but he says, he says that's not going to happen. He's like, can we have it for a, a registered gun then? <laughs> <laughs> can we trade this unregistered gun for a registered one? I thought that was... <laughs> I don't think it was meant to be funny, but I thought it was kind of funny. Well, I, I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but it felt so genuine. Yeah. It's like you're you're panicked. It's like you're just like I don't I don't know what I want exactly. I just know that I don't want you to get what you want. <laughs> yeah. It just feels hopeless at that point. Yeah, like it, it feels hopeless. So it's like you're trying to bargain with somebody who is always going to have the upper hand because guess what? It's their venue and they have resources that you don't. Um but at some point, uh Jiu-Jitsu elects to put the the big guy back on the floor and back in the armbar. This is like literally like a reset in a mixed martial arts match mm-hmm. where they they go back exactly how they're in position. Just kind of relax themselves back into the armbar position. Yeah. I was like, "Wow, that's I mean, wow, big guy's really compliant." But I you know, I guess there is a gun in the room. Um but yeah, Anton is in tears and he he's like, "Okay. How about this? How about give you the gun but we'll keep the ammo and yeah. patrick stewart's like yeah that could work that's fine I, we could do that um and then the nazi girl uh as they're getting ready to hand over the gun uh, so this is where like the editing starts ramping up a bit and the tensions are very 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 high 
uh, she discovers the vent because they have to move the couch that was used to brace the door, mm -hmm. um, which was blocking the vent. And as soon as she sees the vent, she's like, oh, that's a way to see out into the hallway. So we can, I can actually take a look at what's going on out there. Because I know it's just not an old man, like an old Scotsman. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. not just him. He's got buddies with him. He's got Mr. Data. <laughs> yeah, she knows the truth. Mr. Wolf. Um, and she's taking a look out there. And just as they're opening the door. So Anton's walking up to the door. He cracks the door open. And Patrick Stewart's like, can I reach in? He's like, no, I'll throw it out to you. <laughs> He's like, nope, yeah. nope, you can't come in at all. He's getting ready to throw the gun out there and the camera just kind of pans over and this is from her perspective the nazi girl on the floor and she sees red laces and she just looks up and she screams at anton they're killing us <laughs> and all shit like everything goes to shit in an we, instant it's we get fucking some, amazing <laughs> we get two sets of arm trauma uh i think jj just starts he's like fuck it it's going tits up i'm breaking this dude's arm uh, while he's breaking his arm, Anton Yelkin is screaming. They're pulling him, and they're trying to pull Anton back in the room. And he's just something's happening to him. We don't, we can't see what's happening. This is but... like the opening of Jurassic Park when oh. that when that poor park worker is getting yanked by that raptor. <laughs> this is brilliant. This is like why I think this people kind of lump this in with horror. Is what what did your imagination? What what do you think hap was happening on the other side of the door? is so different than what happens when he come when you see what happened to him like in your mind like they're probably grabbing him or trying to like break his fingers or something he pulls his arm back in it is mangled uh so they either had a machete out there or they had a knife and they're just stabbing the fuck out of his hand i yeah. mean his his hand's about to come off i don't know if you yeah, caught his, that his wrist is hacked the, i think the they top half of it is hacked yeah most likely a machete um is hacked to the point that it is flopping like, yeah. there, there's very little connective tissue remaining on his wrist. Uh, there are lacerations going up to his elbow, essentially. They are very deep. And the I, makeup effects here are tremendous. And uh, I think I mentioned off the air, like, his, the director was asked about this scene in particular, and he said the, what makes it so effective was his performance. And he's 100% correct because it's, it's terrifying. Oh, he's shrieking. He's in tears. And the, the way this wrist is dangling, Oof. it's like you can, you can see the gravity pulling it and you're just like stop it like it's gonna break off like just yeah. stop it like and he he's useless at this point so his friends are trying to take care of him they managed to get the door shut and like you said this is all happening at once uh so this is very chaotic extraordinarily violent um the big guy does uh he gets his arm broke it's not quite a compound fracture but it is a broke arm <laughs> it's broke um, yeah it's broke uh and jj moves on up and puts him in a rear naked choke and he keeps asking mama and the nazi girl like tell me when he's out because again like he's we're these are civilized people like yeah. as uncivilized as they are they're still civilized to some degree and he probably doesn't want to kill this guy so he's like tell me when he's unconscious and they <laughs> they try to tell him okay he's out and then he wakes up yeah and he's like oh fuck it he has to get him back in the choke and he's like, okay, tell me when he's out. And it's like, we don't know when he's out. We can't tell. We, we don't do these kind of things. And Mama's kind of like, how long does it take? Yeah, how uh, long does it take? And then Nazi girl pops out the box knife. And this is one of the more grisly effects in the whole movie. It does uh, not give you a chance for it. It just goes straight into it. Yeah, she very, like, oddly, oddly calmly, she just, like, slits him from, from navel up to his sternum like open with the box cutter and he doesn't yeah. react so it's like 
yeah, you killed that guy. You choked yeah. him to death. Um, but yeah, you get to see some flesh open up that's like, fuck. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's said, a human being that is now open like a curtain. <laughs> different movie now. <laughs> yeah, very different movie now. It's just changed. This was tense, now it's real. Uh, so, but uh, in a in a good a good flow here so we just had this explosion of violence uh, patrick stewart is now outside and more of his troops are showing up so more more red laces and they show up in a truck and he's like rallying the troops with like a little bit of a speech again <laughs> if you have sir patrick stewart you you fucking have him deliver a speech it's what you do yeah um, he he tells the cousin he's like well one of their people hurt one of our people you know just trying to sort it out so yeah again yeah. he comes at it from a very calm very clinical standpoint but i love this last line before we cut away where people are piling out of the truck and he's like okay last chance if anyone needs to take a leak <laughs> i was like oh my god that is so fucking realistic and the because, hounds are oh, yeah I, it just you know that's the kind of shit that you know weekend warriors and shit <laughs> Like, yeah. I've been at like airsoft and paintball and stuff, and you know that's what it is. It's just yeah. a bunch of shitheads getting together, you know, playing at war or something, and you know, inevitably something like that comes up. It's like, oh, stop the war for a second. I gotta take a piss. Or oh, my contacts fell out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we yeah. cut back and we're trying to dig through the floor. Yeah, the hounds are coming too. Uh, there's just a quick shot of you hear dogs barking and a truck coming. Um, but yeah, the light under the floor. We're gonna investigate. Shaggy, Scooby, investigate. Um, so yeah, they they end up. Well, the one uh, green man is just like banging on the floor, and everybody else is frantic, doing stuff around the room. Anton Yelkin is not. Feel, he's he's relaxed a little bit. The the initial shock of everything is over with, and he's kind of just trembling there. And um, they don't even notice like, what Green Man's doing. And he manages to put a hole in the floor. He's like, look, there's light down there. Um, and they end up getting down there. And you kind of see, um, it looks like some kind of chemical up on a shelf. That's why I was confused. I'm like, I'm not sure if this is drugs or bombs. And even when they get down into this, there's this whole basement. Yeah, of, there's like of bricks of something too in the middle of the room that, again, could alternatively be like plastic explosive or drugs. Like it, it's I, hard. It's hard to say. I there's a lot of references to drugs in the movie, though. Like um, a lot of dope and stuff. In fact, that's when they excuse Cowcatcher from the venue to go hide somewhere. Uh, they give them dope. Yeah. Um, so that that's what made me suspect that it's drugs rather than. It's bombs. heroin. Okay, it's heroin. That's what it is. Because yeah. uh, one of those one of those ending shots um, is the the band and yeah, now that you mentioned, I think the Nazi girl does explicitly state heroin. Yeah, it's heroin. Point. Okay, so they've got they've got an operation. Okay, so definitely don't have Nazi fucking punk parties upstairs. Where downstairs you're manufacturing <laughs> and and cubing up heroin. That's a big no-no. Also, yeah, don't have. Yeah, that's a lot of noise to bring to a very private thing. <laughs> the Jesus. most private of things. <laughs> um, but yeah, they go down there, and uh, we get a lay of the land. We get uh, this is very good filmmaking here, where we get a lot of shots from many different angles of the basement, so we get a sense of the geography of the room because we will be revisiting this room at a later point, and it's very important that we know where things are in relation to each other. Um, Good, good for like action movies, but also good for you know tense thrillers like this. Um, but as it so happens, the exit out of here um, is a ladder that climbs up out outside the venue, and it's locked from the other side. 
So while it's great that we have another room, can't use it to escape. No. Um, but on his way out, the green man notices some duct tape on one of the shelves. And I mean, if if you need, if there's any one thing you want to have on hand in a crisis situation, it's fucking duct tape. So he grabs that shit. I'm pretty sure Anton Yelkin would be dead uh, from from these wounds. I mean, I don't know what the the artery situation is on your on that part of your arm. Yeah, um, it does seem from to be trauma. The top. I would just I would imagine you would dip dip in and out maybe. Yeah. Just from the he's sheer losing trauma of being damaged like that. I mean, I don't know how much blood he's losing, but I feel like that he's in a really vulnerable position. I guess they did get the top mostly, but if he just would have been under a little bit and sliced right on the underside of the arm, that's... It, it, I think it is mostly on the top. It, I, I think it's conceivable that he could live through that, especially since they they kind of like tourniquet it up and like towel it off, and now, now they use the duct tape to completely seal it up. Yeah. Uh, again, though, he would probably have some serious infections and be dipping in and out of consciousness um but yeah the first order of business is to tape anton's arm uh and this is where jj starts to kind of like take the helm a bit because you know he's the guy that (laughs) kyle has dogs we have dogs yeah okay Uh, so jj kind of takes the lead here um and he wants to fucking go yeah Um, he wants to just open the door and run out there and all of us, the viewers, are, are listening to him and be like, uh, did you not see what happened to your buddy in, like, an instant? Yeah. It's like, the second you open that door, that's probably going to happen to the rest of you. Um, but in this 10 where... seconds, they nearly took his hand off. Yeah, they, they nearly took his entire arm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get it. He's probably the most spindly of the group, but, you know, I don't, I don't care how how ferocious you are if you have an entire hallway full of skinheads they're probably gonna rough you up yeah um but yeah he wants to go and this is where anton uh he's like feverish at this point like he again he just had some severe arm trauma this is where he starts to tell a story about a paintball match um he doesn't finish the story um (laughs) it's actually kind of funny how the story goes because he basically is this seems like it almost feels like uh, like Phoebe Cates' Santa Claus story in uh, Gremlins. It's like, oh, I don't remember it. I've only seen it the one time. Well, oh, is it the super it, sad one? Yeah, it's just like, yeah. what the fuck did that bring to the table <laughs> other than like darkness <laughs> and sadness? <laughs> or like Jack Black in fucking to- Tropic Thunder. He's like, I did a low-budget titty movie for Cinemax, and the fat kids were uh, not allowed in the pretty girls club. And he's like, we made a fucking apparatus to bungee our way over this fence and they're like anyway <laughs> yeah this is very much story. like i mean there, there's a phrase that uh we used to use uh among certain circle of co-workers it was the christopher walken yeah mm. somebody would say something entirely senseless and just like it, it's akin to the billy madison like everyone in this room is now dumber yeah, yeah. may and god have mercy on your soul you just you just pause and you go yeah, <laughs> and then you just go about your business. <laughs> but yeah, Anton... about my business. <laughs> Anton tells a story about paintball match, and basically, it's like he and his buddies were put up against some like literal Marines who were playing paintball at the same and field, and the Marines apart. beat the fuck out of them. And that's the end of the story for now. <laughs> but the the thing you need to put a pin in is the fact that he he prefaces things by saying we have to treat this situation like a paint like paintball and that's the end of the story for now but we revisit it later um 
But yeah, JJ tries to like rally the troops because he's adamant. He's like, we're going. And yeah. no one else has any bright ideas. So I guess, and there's no way out of the room. So I guess we got to go. Um, and I love that he's just like, he scratches his head and he's like, now we won't all live, but I don't know, maybe we won't all die. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's, that's a speech. <laughs> um, and I think this is where some more Desert Island bands come out. Um, Simon and Garfunkel gets thrown out there. Prince, uh, the Misfits again. Mm-hmm. And that. And Nazi girl whispers to herself, Madonna and Slayer. Like, wow, those are two very different things. And you can two only pick one, so you things. can't put an hand in there. Way to break the rules, Nazi uh, girl. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we kick open the door, and uh, Mama has a fluorescent tube, and she, she like breaks part of it into an edge. And her first instinct is to toss it like a fucking spear, but there's no one there. They open the door, and the hall is empty. And they're out one fluorescent tube, which if you've ever watched Backdoor Wrestling, I mean, what 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 can you do without a fluorescent tube? <laughs> it's kind of um, all my all my tricks. Uh, but yeah, this is where we get some dog action, Kyle. And yeah. you're the dog man. You own dogs. What happens with the dogs? Whew. So they actually go out and they're like, "There's like nobody in here. Like there's nobody in the venue." And then a door just kind of opens, and the dog just comes in. Um, these dogs. Yeah, are we scary. we get back out to the the venue like we yeah. get out to like the actual venue and there's no one there but yeah dog <laughs> and the peter stormare is just kind of there and he like the dog just comes in and gets uh it gets the front man's throat the green man and like gets him down and just immediately starts eating his throat like he's fucked um jj runs one way uh, everybody else scatter just everybody just <laughs> all in different directions um yeah uh Green Man's not doing very well. Uh, and <laughs> JJ, JJ gets out the window and immediately is being like Zodiac stabbed in the back. Just it took me a minute to figure out what was happening to him because like he says no guns. He didn't want any guns. Um, we we kind of learned that the what they want to do is they want to stage it so that the dogs attack them. It's the yeah. dogs that get to them. It's, very, and they it's get, very important that the dogs get the majority of the action in there. Yeah. Because uh, they have no trespassing sign. I guess in Oregon, if you trespass, the dogs can just get at you. There's nothing you can do about that. Actually, that's one of the that's one of the conversations that's had much earlier in the movie. Is Patrick Stewart as soon as he arrives on scene is like asking like, what do we have in terms of like signage? And Peter Stormare is like, not much, but we have a beware of dog sign I can put up. And he's like, I guess we'll have to go with that. And I say you probably it's, very it's good one of those things where it's like we the viewer it's like we're not entirely sure what that means but then as soon as front man gets his throat torn out it's like ah oh <laughs> <laughs> ah that's what we're doing so yeah um he yeah drummer gets stabbed uh and then they're kind of still scrambling around but um the dog gets a hold of nazi girl and we're like okay well we're fine with her leaving but gets a hold of her leg and she's trying to fight it off and the the microphone next to her keeps hitting the speaker and i think anton yelkin's trying to help her yeah um and the we figure out that the feedback is messing with the dogs and messing mm-hmm. with the commands. So the dog ends up like retreating, and Peter Stormare just goes out the building, and they leave the uh, feedback on for now it, to keep the dogs away. So yeah. we're like, there's really not much unless you have a gun. Good luck trying to get a dog off you because she's even got the microphone thing. She's hitting the dog. The dog's like not doing anything, babe. This leg is mine. <laughs> this is my leg. 
Oh. They need to, someone needs to re-edit that scene and put like a squeaky toy sound effect when she's hitting yeah. the dogs. Because <laughs> 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 it really does. It no sells that Mike's dead. <laughs> uh, they they manage so um, Aaliyah she makes it. Mama and Anton and the the Nazi girl they get back into the green room and they get the yeah. door shut. I'm like all right, back to square one. <laughs> we tried that, um, but the. There's like I guess they're gonna try to figure out another plan here. Uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, they're they're dragging JJ the dr- the drummer over and uh, he's bleeding, and Patrick Stewart asks, "Is he breathing?" And the little guy just takes him a couple of seconds. He's just like, "Yeah, a little bit." He's like, "Let him bleed. Uh, better for a later time of death." And I'm like, "Fuck, that's brutal." Yeah, that's that's absolutely brutal. Because like yeah. he's not looking at this as, in terms of like human lives and whatnot. It's like this is almost like a real estate issue. <laughs> it's like this is like a landlord trying to protect his building or something. He's like, we have um, a life a life sentence worth of heroin down there, and I will yeah. take all of you down with me for this. So exactly. Yeah. Um, but at this point, the dogs are called back because the mic stand is the the feedback generated by it makes them useless for now, which is kind of cool. Where it's like, huh. That's a good way to remove the threat of the dogs for a moment mm-hmm. um, from a screenwriting standpoint. Um, and so they tag in a couple of skinheads, one of whom is the cousin of, yes. of the uh, Mohawk gentleman. Um, and this this phrase he says, like, as they're storming the building, like, as they march up to the building with fucking machetes, by the way, is, uh, keep them caged until we tag out. And, yeah. like, the note that I put next to that was like, shit, this really is painful. Like, <laughs> like that's exactly the phrasing like I would expect because like they're looking at it in terms of like taking shifts or something. Um, it's it's so casual, um, but it's kind of amazing how easily those two break in. Like they just kind of kick the door down basically of the green room. Uh, so it's just Anton and the two gals, um, and this is where there's a bit of a swerve uh, because like I said, one of those skinheads who broke in is the cousin. Um, and it just so happens that Anton, when he was trying to rescue a uh, Nazi gal, uh, he grabbed what appeared to be like a set list of songs, essentially. And it had a, the repetition of the word Fleischwolf. And uh, Nazi gal mentions that it means meat grinder, by the way. Um, and so instead of like running at the kids with their machetes, the two skinheads like pause for a second. Um, and it the Nazi gal basically outs the cousin and explains mm-hmm. that the girl who was stabbed in the head was planning to leave the community like the neo-nazi community and she was planning on leaving with the cousin and the significance of Fleischwolf was that song was intended to be their cue to run out to the car his his new car as patrick stewart had said and leave together um so Essentially, we get a new ally <laughs> because the two skinheads look at each other, and the cousin's like, "Well, now you know my story. Like, I guess, I, I guess I can't go back out there your... with you. Yeah. I guess I got to join them." So the other guy, I guess, because he's outnumbered, just decides to leave. He and tells him you so, should it's leave. It's so casual how he just like leaves the room <laughs> as quickly as he can. The cousin tells him he's like, "You should probably go." He also said that if they haven't figured it out already, they will. Like they yeah, have, and they will sure enough, soon. the very next scene is Patrick Stewart figuring it out. Like he's independent like, hey, of them, he finds a bat. I guess they killed somebody else. He's like, "You were supposed to dispose of this like a year ago." Like, so it's from last Easter, 
and it's a bag and it's like a it's like a plastic bag with an aluminum bat in it and it still has blood on it yeah so i'm guessing the cousin was planning on using that as like evidence to maybe point the finger at the community um mm. in some fashion because it still has dna evidence on it and whatnot um so this was a big fucking thing and patrick stewart actually like kisses the little guy his, his associate on the head and he's like he's actually kind of pleased because he's like well you know this started out as a shit situation but now i can tie up all the loose ends all at once because mm. i guess he had some suspicions about the cousin to begin with and and that was evident actually um from a viewer standpoint it's like yeah you can tell that there's a weird relationship going on between him and the cousin yeah. so now it's like well i guess uh i don't have to feel so bad about killing everyone <laughs> uh, because this this shit cannot get out um and now guns are on the table so all bets are off uh, we're patrick stewart is now willing to use guns on the people trapped in the venue um and we make another run back out to the back out to the venue um and our new buddy uh, makes a run for something that was communicated to us visually uh, during the dog attack scene. Yes. Yeah, you want to tell us what that was, Kyle? There's a shotgun underneath the bar. Uh, as a Green Man was getting like dying, basically, he just sees that there was a shotgun behind the bar the whole time. Um, and yeah, the cousin is kind of laying out the the plan. He's like, "Listen, it's I very know something." Confident. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Yeah, man, when we get you out of here, he's going to get the shotgun." He's like, "I know something they don't." Boom! <laughs> Fucking headshot, dude. It's that was one of the. One. Dude, it's tasty, and you are not expecting it. Uh, it that, and they're like, "We told you. Remember when we disemboweled the guy? Like, you're, no warnings. This is you're in it now." And this is one of those moments where. I, I yelled fuck like in the like my friends are in the other room like they're having a little little gathering they're drinking wine smoking weed and I'm just in my room fuck <laughs> yelling because I've got my headphones in and I'm not I'm not prepared for it I don't know Man, what's, I don't know what's coming I want to watch movies at your house that sounds hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah it's um fun. yeah the part of what makes this headshot so tasty is it's it's an effect that I can't recall seeing before honestly because traditionally you know like shotguns are loaded with slugs or buckshot this appears to be buckshot (laughs) Um, because instead of like a traditional like action movie head explosion which is which we've all seen a million times and it's always glorious head explosions are the best Um, instead the way this effect is rendered is we get to see a bunch of little dots uh, like buckshot just slap into this guy's head so his, the foundation of his skull isn't like shattered or anything it's just like slap like just a bunch he, of dots on his head he gets chained <laughs> <laughs> yes he gets chained <laughs> except he doesn't live <laughs> um but yeah it's it's a unique looking effect i'm not sure if it was cgi or just very clever makeup effects either way stand up job good job yeah um so yeah, our new buddy is out of the picture as soon as he arrived, like like, like two minutes after he arrives. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. It's it's on par with Sam Jackson getting ganked by a shark. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, uh, we very quickly take action, and this fellow who walked in there and shot this guy, um, he kind of reminded me of the heavy set guy from uh, what is it, Varsity Blues? Oh, Billy uh, Bobby Ray or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Reggie he Ray. Kind of reminded me of him. But with shaggy hair. Yeah, I can see that. Anyway, this guy has a shotgun, and as he's you know racking in the next shell, uh, 
all three of our heroes, remaining heroes, uh, jump on him. And uh, Mama's weapon of choice throughout the entire movie has been a fire extinguisher. Yeah. So she sprays him with that, and Nazi guy like starts to rough him up with something too. And Anton though he gets the he gets the kill shot. Uh, he grabs a machete and he whacks the guy in the side of the neck. Good. And yeah. he's not feeling great about it, but he got the job done. He dispatched the guy. Um, and now we have a shotgun, and kind of without thinking, like seriously without thinking, <laughs> um, this yeah. is riding an adrenaline high. A uh, Nazi girl takes up the shotgun, and we try to leave via the front door. I'm like, uh, I don't know if that's advisable. <laughs> like, no. uh, so as soon as the door opens up, it's like it's like the end of Die Hard. We have Dwayne and the entire L.A. police force just standing out there. It's like, uh, yeah, you might want to go back in. And everybody starts opening fire with handguns and shotguns and stuff, and Nazi girl gets capped in the leg. Anton grabs her. Mama grabs a shotgun and gets mauled by a dog. And so in, in like two seconds, Nazi girl got shot. Mama got eaten. And oh, by the way, Mama was carrying a shotgun. So just like our new our new buddy, the cousin, we acquire and lose a shotgun <laughs> in like immediately. Two, two seconds. Yeah. It's so bad. And it's just Nazi girl and Anton now. And we're back in the green room. We're back in the car. The car again. (laughs) (laughs) So Anton remarks, I can't die here with you. And I don't blame him. I'm like, I don't even like you. Like, that haircut is just so obnoxious. So bad. (laughs) Um, And her response um, prompted another God, I hate her in my notes. He says, I can't die here with you. And she says, so don't. Uh, oh my God, I hate you. That's <laughs> not motivating. It's like go, go back to school of rock or something. <laughs> but, um, she asked for the end of the paintball story, and this is where Anton uh, gives us the rest of the story and makes sense of things. And in case you haven't noticed, this plays into some major themes that have been playing out um, in the characterizations throughout the entire movie. And basically, long story short. Um, Anton's buddy Rick Silva uh, managed to defeat the Marine team of paintballers single-handedly by going apeshit and doing everything, doing it, playing everything by ear, just like punk rocking it. Yeah. Instead of instead of trying to fight on their terms, he just like ran out there and treated it like a fucking game. And instead of being afraid, just had fun with it and said, "Fuck it, let's go." Um, which plays back to JJ's philosophy of let's fucking go. Like, and you know just the punk or rock philosophy in general just fucking go and, and the quote the best quote in this entire story was uh, Anton saying they knew real war and they played real war and basically he's making this argument that perhaps the best way to best way to meet this threat head on is to come at it the best way we know how as punk rockers just like fuck it <laughs> like it's like we can't beat them at their own game, so let's not play their game. Mm-hmm. Um, and her response is to get up and pick up a sharpie in the room, and she says, "Let's fucking do this. Let's do it." Yeah. And so Stuart gives the, the little guy some red laces back in the in the trailer, the business trailer. And uh, at this point, like Peter Stormare dopes up one of the dogs. I guess it was injured or something because mm-hmm. Mama did fire off a shell before, it, like a yeah, she fired once with the shotgun. 
it looked like it missed, but maybe like one of the pellets Clipped went it. into the dog or something. Yeah. Because it is whimpering. Um, but whatever he stuck that dog with, it's juiced and it's ready to fucking go. <laughs> um, and he and Patrick Stewart take off because they're doing something else. And we know that the numbers of the punk rockers have dwindled to the point that it's like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. We can take care of that. Yeah. Uh, so they still have some sort of scheme that's definitely connected to things, but it doesn't take place here at the venue. So they take off in a truck and he actually hands control of the dog off to the skinhead who went in with the cousin. So he's like, I'm trusting you with this. And I'm even teaching you a little bit of German <laughs> because the dog responds to German. Yeah. I think it's Foss is the go like the go command i think so yeah yeah it's like fast um but yeah it's two guys to take out two two kids basically um and kyle you want to walk us through how this plays out i don't yeah this is where i had to i i wasn't able to get to this part i wasn't uh, able to well, read i shall tell you the tale yeah, got, to, got to walk <laughs> so, us through this part so this is where it turns into a rambo movie <laughs> like it turns into the part of every Rambo movie where he, he stealth kills everyone. So Rambo turns into an Italian ninja for a few minutes. Let, let me see if I can let, let me see if I've got it. So they end up they end up going one person goes down to the basement. They're trying to trick the two dudes to go into the basement and they knock one down and then the other one's trying to get Anton around the corner. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a very long drawn out sequence. It's very well yeah. done because like the stakes are very, very high. Um, and it's it's very well executed. Again, the geography of the basement really comes into effect here. Like knowing where each character is in relation to each other is what makes it so good. Um, but essentially, what we do is a there's a there's a speaker system in the green room, and we use it to blare feedback out into the hallway, which, as we had seen earlier in the film, uh, removes the dog from the equation. So the dog takes off. Um, and put a pin in that because the the remainder of the movie like every five minutes or so we keep cutting back to this dog just like kind of wandering around in the woods and the whole time we're like oh fuck is that dog gonna gank someone in the last second of this movie yeah like is this gonna be one of those endings where it's like oh fuck man nobody nobody got a happy ending (laughs) um but yeah we the skinheads charge into the green room and they have guns both of them um and they kick the door down, and Anton has shaved his head and has drawn camouflage, like Conan the Barbarian-esque camouflage like streaks on his face with the Sharpie. And he has his back to them, and he's wearing an army coat, and he yells some fucking gibberish at them. And he says something about Odin. <laughs> and then he jumps into the basement. And the one like the I, I guess I call him the head skinhead. So he's the he's the tall one that was in there earlier. Uh, he heads up into the basement, uh, pursuing him, and he has a shotgun. And his buddy stays in the green room, like, looking down the hole. And as he's looking down the hole from behind him, Nazi girl comes out from the couch from under the cushions. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good move. Yeah, it looks like something out of the grudge or something. <laughs> and she crawls along the floor, and she has her handy-dandy box cutter. And she uh, she stabs him in the neck. She takes him out. She takes the guy who's looking down in the basement. She takes him out. Uh, and meanwhile, though, Anton is making a ruckus in the basement, uh, presumably to prevent either of the guys from hearing the girl. However, it doesn't really matter because the little guy, the middle management guy, is pressure washing in the venue because yeah. apparently we got to hustle. We got to clean this shit up fucking now. 
So priorities are to do both things at the same time. Kill two people and clean up at the same time. <laughs> um, but yeah, long story short, there's a tense standoff in the basement with the guy with the shotgun coming for Anton. Um, Nazi gal gets super fucking clever here and starts throwing dead bodies through the hole uh, to like make a ruckus and give the guy with the shotgun a target to aim at. And she, she even goes to the she goes to such great lengths that she takes her friend's dead body and hangs it over the hole and he shoots the thigh of it thinking it's her and actually i thought it was her for a second um and anyway uh anton gets in a scuffle with the guy they're fighting over the shotgun she comes in down in the basement she gets a pistol and she shoots the, this skinhead guy in the throat and in the temple just like pop pop I'm like jesus this lady <laughs> this lady is just mess the fuck up in the head because she's very calm about it like she yeah. casually walks up and just bah, bah, point blank range i think she understands the gravity of the situation she does uh, no she absolutely does and you can tell it's like again everything that anton is experiencing for the first time i'm pretty sure she's seen yeah. not not been party to but definitely been in the room for or something um and she just has this weird detached quality to her all throughout the movie Mm-hmm. Or I mean that that line, the, like careful now, like in in like a super tense situation, you can tell that like she's got a thousand yard stare thing going on. It's like nothing, nothing quite hits her the way it should. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, at this point we we head back into the venue, and the little guy is just there, and he's wearing like an apron <laughs> and like rubber gloves because he's been cleaning. And he sees these two kids with guns, and he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, yeah, I, I'm done. Like, like you can tell, like from his facial acting when he's alone with Patrick Stewart and receiving his his fancy new red laces, he's checked out. Like, yeah. this, it's gone too far. He's seen too much, and he's done. Uh, so they actually march out into the woods with him, and you know, I believe him when I believed him 100 percent at that time that he wasn't a threat to them anymore. They don't, obviously, but. I certainly did. Um, and then we hear some gunshots uh, through the woods. And Anton remarks, uh, I think I'm going. And as I had said, this is like code. This is him saying, I'm about to do something stupid. <laughs> and he encourages the girl to go to go with the little guy because he elects to head to an orchard nearby uh, because they have a phone. And they can use that to get the police, essentially. Um, and they're not sure if they can trust him, but that's his plan. The little guy wants to go call the cops. Um, but yeah, Anton and the gal, uh, they head to what looks like a farm, essentially. And we we find their van and Peter Stormare and a buddy. And we hold them up at gunpoint. And uh, we again, we keep cutting back to that dog wandering around. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, God damn it, this dog God better not show up and tear someone's throat out at the last second. <laughs> I was going to say, that's exactly what I think, thought was going to happen. I'm like, this dog is going to come back, and it's going to be a tragedy. Like, they got so close to getting away. I, I kept waiting for it. but I would have been fine with that. Yeah, I would have been fine with it, too, because actually the end of this movie is essentially that, just without the violence. Um, it's, it's, did, did you kind of get, like, the strangers feeling a little bit? Like, it, it's kind of like um, a home invasion, but, like, like, going in, coming back out, going in, coming back out, and then... All, and ultimately hopeless at the end i was expecting that i i think the paintball the paintball analogy is very apt 
because it, it does feel like that. It feels like a game almost, mm-hmm. where it's like no one, except for the kids, like all the all the attackers are not taking things as seriously as they should, except for the last two guys actually. Like the last guy, he is high strong. Yes. Um, like he is nervous as fuck, and we. We, make, we take special care to put the microphone right in his nose so we can hear his fucking nostrils going. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, enough. I get it. He's tense. Um, but essentially the, the final showdown, that's very diehard-esque, I guess. Um, two kids, March, Peter Stormare, and his buddy. Uh, guy who looks like Huey Lewis but isn't Huey Lewis, essentially. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I always love that bit of trivia in Die Hard. It's like even my dad thought that was Hero Lewis. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's not. just some. It's just some guy that looks like him. Shit! I got fifty bucks on them assholes. <laughs> on them assholes. And then yeah, uh, I love that. cut to him doing like the most sinister of like side eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so obvious. <laughs> what if he was still standing there? Yeah, no. It's like, uh, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. But yeah, uh, the two kids march the two guys out to the to this farm area, and we see all the members of the band, like all their dead bodies, laid out on the grass. And the camera even lingers on the fence leading up to the farm, and it, sure enough, beware of dog. Uh, so this is where, if you didn't figure it out by now, you you got it now. Yeah. The plan was to make it appear. Oh yeah, and there's a tube stuck in the gas tank of one of the vehicles so the plan was to make it look like the punk rockers were trespassing trying to siphon gas merry mishaps ensued and some kids got dead um that this way it can look like oh you know i was just defending my property from people trying to steal gas from me yeah um and patrick stewart is there he just kind of casually comes out from behind a vehicle and he's like oh i wasn't expecting you <laughs> guns i have one too <laughs> Uh, and so everyone gets shot. Yeah. Except for the kids. Uh, the kids shoot everyone. And Patrick Stewart's death here is pretty interesting. Like the way it's choreographed. Yeah, it's um, kind of. He's like almost going to confidence his way out of this situation. He turns his back kinda, to them. Yeah. He's just like, nope, they're not going to do it. Like, I haven't driven them to madness at this point. I'm like, you're not understanding what you've done to these kids. Yeah, it's like, have you looked at that girl? Have you seen her haircut? <laughs> it's like, she is capable of awful things. If yeah. she could do that to herself, to her imagine hair? what she could do to you. Look <laughs> what she does to herself. What do you think she's going to do to you? Don't fuck with people who have horrible haircuts. Yeah, Honestly, just do yeah. not. You will, yeah. get, you will get dead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Patrick Stewart... Um, there's there's this comes in like two two shocking bits um peter stormare is the first one to get killed and then huey lewis guy makes a move both the kids shoot him Uh, and in the confusion patrick stewart turns his back and starts walking away from them but he also yanks out that revolver the five cylinder the five barreled revolver Mm -hmm. and uh they shoot him like in the back of the thigh and like center of the back and then as he's falling down he turns around and he just kind of like casually fires around between the two of them that hits just hits a truck like completely misses and then he gets shot in the fucking forehead and he's down and out he's dead (laughs) um but yeah it it definitely like a an instance of maybe him underestimating them or i don't know what that was it was just it's very strangely choreographed it's like a (laughs) was it the departed it's like she fell funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah or it was like 
uh, when he shoots Jack Nicholson, he's still kind of sitting there, and he fucking prick. Yeah. <laughs> I love that how the, the gunshots like play over the audio of him yelling. So there was a little bit more of that, but you can't hear it over the gunshot. <laughs> but yeah, it's like he he fell funny. Um, and then I think this is where the we get a a weird little montage of all the people who have escaped the venue, including the kids. So that we see the little guy come out onto like a highway and he makes it to the orchard and he just says like we need the cops like so he did he upheld his end of the bargain and then we cut to cow catcher of all things yeah and they're like holed up in some like really dingy venue like like in a, a motel or something looks like the one guy od'd on heroin because he still has a needle in his arm and he oh no sleep. he's just high yeah oh he's just high um he's just and high. then uh the guy who did the, the knifing to the head uh, he's like eating Cheerios, watching yeah. shitty TV or something. Uh, it's like Pulp Fiction, yeah. Uh, when Eric Stoltz is like smoking a cigarette, eating uh, eating cereal. When uh, Vincent comes back, I mean, even the decor in the room is very similar. <laughs> it's a shitty looking motel or apartment or something. I've heard um, that sugar sugar is a very big thing with heroin addicts. Apparently, like the the sugar kind of helps the in between. Oh. Um, yeah, I've I've known I've known him more if that's the significance of like the serial for Eric Stoltz in that movie and serial here. Um it came up in 28, 28 weeks with Sandra Bullock. She gets roomed with a, a heroin addict. She's always eating chocolate. But, oh. Huh. I I don't know. That. I I know I know it's a big thing with recovering addicts of all sorts, but I I'm not sure about heroin. I can't say I've ever really dealt with people that have dealt with that. Have you ever seen um, ice cream that wasn't finished by the bus stop? Yes. Ah, there you go. Bingo. Uh, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we even get a shot, like just a random shot of uh, Tad, the uh, the true punker, vacuuming. Yeah. Just casual. Like, I guess that's how his day went. Yeah. And maybe yeah. that's the significance of it. It's like, by the way, this is what everyone else you met in the movie, this is what they're now up to. He's vacuuming. He's eating Cheerios. (laughs) Frosted Cheerios. Um, And then the dog finally arrives on the scene. It's a cute dog, actually, despite being a murderous, vicious beast. Yeah. Uh, It arrives on scene, and um, the two kids actually point their guns at it, and they don't hesitate to pull the triggers. Um, But we just hear a series of clicks, so they're out of bullets. And... uh, it's an American movie. They're not going to shoot a dog on camera. <laughs> no. Um, even in a fucked up shit movie. Um, yeah. And the dog like curls up beside its dead master, Peter Stormare, instead. And, um, and then we get our closing lines in the movie. Um, Anton Yelchin says, I know what it is. My desert island band. And the gal, the Nazi gal, replies, tell somebody who gives a shit. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Last note on my very long list of notes god i hate her <laughs> and then we get a pretty awesome song at the end and I, didn't, I, I didn't catch what the song was at the end it sounds like credence but i don't think it is <laughs> um but yeah it's a it's a good song actually but um yeah and that was green room yeah yeah um so this was the first of our fucked up shit month um and as i told you off air i feel like it's i feel like it's appropriate because this is this is not a truly fucked up movie. It is fucked up, um, but this is like a, a nice like dipping your toes into the cold water kind of 
Like, yeah, don't easing don't worry. into the fucked upness. We're not doing Serbian film or Sallow. No, we're not. We're not going that far down. Like that's too much. I did watch Devils. The Devils, by the way. The uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of disappointing. Uh, but also, I watched the one that's on Criterion right now. Isn't the one that has the footage taken out? Apparently, there's like an extra fifteen minutes that's not in the Criterion. So. Uh, I can see where it was controversial. Uh, Roger Eber gave it a thumbs down. I haven't even seen a thumbs down from him, and that's one of the films that got a thumbs down. Wow. Um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't as impressed with it, but it's got some fucked up moments. I love uh, all of um, oh god Oliver Reed. Uh, he's great in it, but I like him in pretty much anything I see him in. But yeah, we, we that would have been one we could have done, but it's not even it doesn't even register. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean it needs to be said. Yeah, like a Serbian film, that's not what we're going for. Like, no, there, there are you and I both have our limits. Uh, this month may be an instance of us perhaps pushing those a little bit for but, you, for you, <laughs> for you. Um, I, you know, actually, truthfully, I think, I think my limits might be even further than yours because I, I will pretty much watch almost anything. Like, I'm it mm. takes a lot to offend me. Um, okay. But in I terms mean, of things that I'm willing to talk about on the internet, yeah, that's where that's I true. have limits. Things that I, I'll subject myself to on my own time, I'll watch pretty much anything. We can do our own private Sallow, <laughs> 120 <laughs> Days of Sodom. <laughs> but things like that, it's like my my logic coming into it is always like, do I really need this? Like, what what will I get out of this? Because of course I'm curious. Like, I know the I know both of those movies very well by reputation, but in terms of like actual entertainment or like enrichment that i'll get from watching those movies i'm like i you know i i don't know if i'll get much out of that to be honest other than oh my god that was fucked up i think the anti-fascist tones in Salo make it relevant if if it didn't have uh strong anti-fascist anti-communist uh um uh like that's basically what the film's about. If it had, if it didn't have that, and if it was just fucked up, it wouldn't be in the Criterion Collection. Oh, I, I get it. It's historically significant. I mean, yeah. and, and and Caligula the, also is historically significant, and that you know it had a massive budget and a big headlining star for essentially a trash movie. <laughs> like it was so rare. It, it was Salo, the director, also uh, may have been killed by a hate crime because he was openly gay in the seventies. Hmm. Uh, no, so. it it has a legacy. It's just it's one of those movies that's like, man, I I need to be in a certain place to to wanna put that on. That's also kind of what we had to do with this to think about it is like it's hard to watch films like this because you're like I need to be in the right headspace for it. And if you just designate it's in January. (laughs) Yeah. It's dark. So what do we uh what do we got on the docket for next week? I think it's your choice. Uh I'll I'll have to keep it a mystery because I think we both have more than more than four entries on there so there, yeah, are, there's there, there is a selection process that's happening happening in a very fluid fashion but um i think you took we are the flesh from me yeah i took that <laughs> you one yanked yeah. that from me you bastard because we independently both saw like a preview for it we're like oh this would be interesting yeah and i took it because yeah. the rest of, of these i've never <laughs> i put that on the list and you took it <laughs> um but yeah anti-birth is one that i'm curious about um and lose uh, like, lose was the other lose was something i put on there more for you than for me to be honest yeah um, it yeah, sounded more that... up your alley than mine 
Um, and then, uh, like me, is one that I've been curious about since I saw the trailer for it. Because uh, mm. it's very rare that I see image, just pure imagery in a trailer or something that's like, wow, that's that's something. Yeah. So I, I know very little about the movie. I haven't researched it all. I just saw a trailer a long time ago, and some of those images from the edit of the trailer, it's like, wow, that stuck with me. Um, so yeah, I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing next week, but well, obviously we have choices. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining us in the first week of our fucked up shit month. Um, yeah. Tune in next week for more fucked up shit. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.